Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 470. We're doing the breeding episode. Uh, we do this every year. You know, I, I don't know. Me and Owen seem to sort of repeat stuff. Sometimes we put new stuff, but, you know, you, Owen, Why won't you people ever learn? It's like we have to keep redoing to it, do it every again year. and no, again. It's just, I, get a, I get a lot of good feedback that people get stuff out of it. So I guess we must, like, randomly just bring up topics or something well, I, from I mean, the previous year, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, I did have a, some cool stuff because, like, uh, I talked to you about it where I tried with the non feeders, um, uh-huh. you know, and so I have that, which yeah. <laughs> I would have never done thought of, but yeah, yeah. So, so that that's good. So I figure, so we're going to do our overview yep. of breeding pythons with a focus on carpet pythons, obviously. Yep. Um, but I think you could probably apply this to most most python species. It's a good start. Like, you know, yes. you can start with this stuff and then tweak depending on different species. Um, yeah, I, I kind of think like several species of snake fall into carpet python breeding. Several species of snake fall into bread lie breeding, you know, and then several species of snake fall into colubrid breeding. So, you know, it's yeah. it kind of you take what you got to do and, and you can always adapt what we're talking. Please don't do it to the letter of what we're saying. Our rooms are not your rooms. So, right. So I figure what we do is we'll go through our overview. We'll okay. talk about, you know, whatever. So we have, we have three new things that are, you know, number why is, one, why is Riley here? Is this a color bird corner that you don't know about? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like did we, did we kidnap you? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So Riley's going to join us. So okay. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, that's cool. So it's usually me and you, but this time we got Riley with us. So it's cool. So yeah. we'll be bouncing ideas off of all three of us. And it's kind of good because Riley's out there on the West coast and we're right. here on the East coast Yep. and it's good to get those different perspectives. And, uh, and, and if you're in the yeah, middle, so slightly tweaks in the yeah. same thing. Um, but uh, the other two things that I thought would be cool for us to hit on would be, You know, each time we do this, it seems like every season we have bred a new species, right? So after we do the overview, we'll talk about just, you know, like you can maybe put, because this year you bred olive pythons. Yes. You bred rough scale pythons. I halfway did, yes. (laughs) Skull crushing sadness. Yes, go ahead. (laughs) So there's two (laughs) new species that that you haven't been bred in the... Uh, yet and uh, i thought we would hit on that and then we would talk maybe about what our plan is for maybe species that we're trying this year that we've never tried before right you know not in depth or whatever but just like what what is going to be our approach Um, right that's sort of going to be how we break things down but before we get into that okay (laughs) um so we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Yes, First do. of all, I have not gotten a box of snakes in a long time. <gasps> a long There time. was a box that arrived and I didn't get pictures? What the hell happened? No, I didn't take pictures at all because I was closing my stupid pool. Anyway, Who gives a damn about the pool? <laughs> so I got two boxes today. If there's uh, some good stuff in there, I'm going to be so mad at you. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, oh, Good. So you want me to be mad at you. All right, go ahead. So I got the Walma mail. From uh, oh, field, yeah, field herpticulture, yeah, um, yeah, from Brett Bender, right? Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Walma. I'm very excited about that, um, and that's going to go with the female that I have from Keith. So now I have two point two, 
My Woma collection is. What the hell is up with the Woma collection? Well, actually, they, I, I know what's up with the Woma collection. You, you're like pretty Woma, and then you're like, well, I could use another one, and then <laughs> now, you're, now you're at four, and you're like, good number. It'll be right. further down the road when you get another pretty woman. You're like, damn it, <laughs> like, <it's> like <laughs> this didn't work now out. Now well. I need another one. It's like I, I, um, I understand. It, and then the other box was from Mark Goyer. Oh um, shit. And this was the dude. That coastal is. You're freaking welcome. <laughs> Holy shit, man! Next like, time I'm showing you things, pay the fuck attention. The first. Time. It is classic, classic. God damn it! So there's a snake that we oh, when we did the coastal carpet python show. Yeah. And we talked about. Yeah. Um. Uh. I don't even know what other ones we would have brought into, like maybe bloodline show. I don't even know, but whenever, whenever I know we've brought it up multiple times, but you know those shots of those M pen coastals. Yes. <sighs> Dude, that's yes. what this thing is going to look like as an adult. Yes. Not my M pens. So my M pens have sort of like this gray, yep. lavender, yellow type of look. Whereas I think the M pen that you used to have it's had like more yellow. Of this yellow. It was bright yellow. Yeah. I, my M like pens were yellow. Yeah. The citrus tiger. Yes. Um, uh, what, what do you want to call it? Like the gray yep. in the saddle. The saddles. They, were, they, were, they were yellow and gray the in the saddle. Then the one that was Dude. yellow with like orange in the saddle. Like, yeah. Dude. Yeah. Not only can I use that snake for breeding coastal carpets. Yes. But <clears throat> I can also outcross the citrus tigers. I don't care about that project. (laughs) No, no, no. Go back to the coastal projects. You were doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. This snake is nice. That's awesome. And then like you can, I mean, any class, because it it is just coastal, right? Or is it, uh, was there caramel involved in this one or no? I don't forget. Okay. It was from a caramel clutch, but. Just straight coastal. Just a straight coastal, dude. You can bring that. You can start. You know, add that to the hypo project. Add that to any, you can, any coastal project you have. Just coastal car. Yeah. Oh, I have the perfect snake for it, man. It's perfect female. It, it, it's like, your M pen. Reminds girl. me of a no, no, no. It's not an M pen. I mean, it's that better a, happen at some point, or I'm gonna kidnap sure. you. I'm gonna pull an Australian. I'm gonna break into your house, kidnap <laughs> your animals, breed them, and then return them to you at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, um, but this snake would 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 mix well with the Russian tiger stuff. Yes, yes. This snake would mix well with Jason Balin. Yeah, um, well, it's got it's got killer stripes. And no uh, tiger influence, or is it just stripe? No, it's just stripe. So it's not. It's it. It's not even tiger. Not no even tiger. tiger no tiger. Fan freaking tastic. Mm-hmm. So I'm over you, the moon about that snake. I don't know. Did we talk about that on the? the we we the, talked about it when we were in the Texas trip. That we okay. That yeah. I, I tried showing you Mark's stuff when he posted it up, and you kind of acknowledged and it was like, "Yeah, it's cool. It's awesome." And then we were in the middle of Texas in the back seat. Or it was New Mexico. And you're like, New Mexico. Like, dude, what yeah. the check out? out of like, I showed you that. And, and then you were like, well, hell. And you called Mark from the back seat of the car. And you yes. bought <laughs> like, well, all right. I, like, I guess that's happening Mark. now. It's like, yeah. Is, is that um, Coastal Carpet still available? Well, like, yeah. Um, I think so. <laughs> What number is it? And you're like, uh, uh, and you're like going back and forth. And I'm yeah. like, I've been in this position where it's like, please, God, just sell me the animal. Yeah. <laughs> so please have it still. Please, please still have it. Have it. Have yeah. it still. Um, and then um, he had a, um, the other thing is um, he had, uh, I need another male children's python. Yeah. And he had a ruby 
uh, what is it? It's it's um, Vin Russo's Ruby Red line or something like that. Okay. So, I mean, it was like sixty bucks or something like that. I mean, you know. <laughs> Yeah, throw it in there. Why not? <laughs> what the hell? And then, and then tomorrow, this one I'm super excited about. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta thank Riley for this one. Two female wild caught IJs. <gasps> Your favorite? Yes. Oh, can't wait to see them. Holy shit! Well, I mean, those are good, good because you can add them to, I guess, any Jag project you have, right? Yeah, I could reinvent Bullwinkle, no problem. <laughs> yes, no, no, Shame on never. You. <laughs> or you, uh, I mean, the two hundred IJ projects you have that you know. Uh, these will fit perfect into my. You know, Dan was so I got them from DM Exotics, yep. but Dan was messaging me back and. He's like, um, I'll send pictures. I said, dude, I don't care. What I don't give about. a damn. They can come. <laughs> they they can be missing time. an eyeball. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> just, like... just send them. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, he took some pictures and they look, they look awesome. They man. do. They do. I, I, like the, I like the contrast. That thing is like one of them has excellent, fantastic contrast. The other one's got killer colors. And I'm like, God damn it. Like that's yeah. both of what you want. Cause you can plug them in wherever you want to go. And I love I've said this numerous times. I love the fact that the IJ projects, you can still get wild caught blood to use as you see fit to enhance other projects. And I don't think there's enough people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, man. You know, I think more and more people are caring about IJs for sure. That's because they've been listening to you for 10 years. And and unfortunately, (laughs) I can't do anything on the coastal side to be like, get the wild coastals. Well, enjoy them when you get out of prison. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, no. But um, I, I'm. I don't know, man. It's uh, you know, it'll probably never be something that's you know money driven or any. But to, oh, they're just, I just hey, if you them. if you're doing this for if you're doing this to get rich, I have some very hard lessons I need to talk to you about, <laughs> and we have to discuss that. That's not going to happen. So I'll segue into our uh, into our little bit of housekeeping. I want to throw <laughs> a uh, a little advertisement out there for for our buddy Graham Battison. Yep. Um, so. If you wanted to do reptiles full time, they're looking for staff. So basically, they're like they're got reptile. Venues, they're opening up several reptile locations, yeah. like small, like or, or not small, opening up reptile zoos and attractions throughout the country, and yeah. they're looking for staff members who can. Pretty much, this is reptiles, like reptile zoos, reptile keeping. This is. A hundred percent reptile job, so right. they're looking for people. Um, and I'm a little pissed that he didn't like build the headquarters in Pennsylvania and take <laughs> us out of our jobs. Like I, yeah. I want to have a discussion with him about that and how yeah. that's some bullshit. So hmm. you know, maybe we could be head of podcast uh, development. Do I mean, the- <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. Relocate us <laughs> whatever we have to do. What do you want from us? We are right here. Get on, get on the board of directors or whatever they have. Riley, we've not introduced you yet. You're not on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you did. He's like, like, yeah, we did at the very shit. beginning, man. What are you? <laughs> that was attention. I don't know what's happening anymore. Anyway, they're looking for staff uh, with, uh, you know, uh, basically, if you're passionate about reptiles, um, they'll 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 be uh, they'll be listening to you. So you can send your resume 
right? Mm. Um, to there's two people. One is Dennis McGee. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna put he's the director, and I'll put his email out there. drmcgee41 at gmail.com, right? And then there's Graham Battison. Look at him with his his official name, assistant director. Stop so, falling in love with Graham on the <laughs> podcast, okay? Like, <laughs> can I just can I just send Graham my resume and it just says I'm Owen McIntyre? Like, you know, do, do you think that would do, or do you think he wants some more references? I think oh, he wants a little more. Eric I think he Burke. Wants a little more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw it right in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking hobbit that idiot. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so if you want to get in touch with Graham, it's uh, he's even got a cool uh, Gmail or hot. Oh, he's got hotmail still. Oh, okay. my All right. God. <laughs> it's Batty, B-A-T-T-Y-G, one, two, three. Batty, G, one, two, three at hotmail.com. All right. Do not mm. send messages on Facebook Messenger. You will <laughs> automatically be disqualified. Is that how you get jobs now? Weird. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ty told us to or asked us to mention um, the new page that she new group she started on Facebook for female herpers, herpers. Um, it's out of Australia. She's just trying to expand the uh, group there for a little bit and try to to uh, get as many female reptile enthusiasts or herpers out there worldwide to join in in a discussion. And it is for females only. So you guys can, uh, or gals can go over there and, uh, enjoy the reptiles without having us, you know, messing it up like we yeah. tend to do. So, um, <laughs> yep. That's uh Ty Iper. Um, and it's her purse, H E R P E R S. Um, and that's the Facebook group. So go over there and, uh, join in. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. All right. We're going to get into the breeding episode. Um, and then Sorry, at the I, end, stay on. tuned for wonderful. Capital H-E-R-P-R-S is all lowercase. It's all one word. Her. I just want to make sure I got that right. Good. Sorry. All right. So we're going to start the breeding episode and stay tuned for Owen's retech story. Worth a debacle with these fucking things. Right. Hold them out to get them, but uh, uh, shut up. <laughs> um, so, whenever we do this, um, we want to start by saying that um, you know, breeding is not for everyone, yep. and it doesn't make you somebody in the hobby. Um, yep. You know, you can just be a keeper and just be as relevant in the hobby as if you were a breeder, right? And also, if you're going to start breeding, you need to understand that this is not something you should arrive at easily. This is um, by far the most dangerous thing you could do to your animals is attempt to breed them. Um, so if you're not okay with that, um, it's all right to just kind of step back. Also, it doesn't end with the eggs because after the eggs come the babies. So you can very easily overwhelm yourself if you're not paying attention Trust me, I know. Yes. So, um, there, done that. <laughs> yeah, definitely think a lot. And there's nothing wrong with maybe doing one or two pairs and saving one or two pairs for next year. And that's fine. So, it's funny. I did like this little pros and cons list of breeding, right? <laughs> Pro. The very last thing I said, you can have the hobby pay for itself. That would be a pro. Con. Dealing with people. Yeah. 
You have to sell them. <laughs> oh, they didn't tell me that. <laughs> I thought they sold themselves. They don't. And that's the thing. It's like everybody. What I love is that you breed something and everybody is all over you for at least a week and a half after the female lays the eggs. Right. Wanting to be on lists, wanting to talk to you, want to do this. And that's fine. Totally get it. Um, then it's like, oh, my God, the babies won't be ready till June. June 1st. Like at midnight, are the babies ready, dude? No, like maybe one or two are, but I need a little bit more time. July first, midnight, they're ready now. It's like, oh sweet god! Like, and then you're finally like, hey, hey they're ready. Here's the price, crickets. They're gone. This I have person to ask is the gone. Wife. <laughs> and I'm like, I like if you if you've sent me several messages, you're committed. You're buying this thing at this point, <laughs> <laughs> or you will be blacklisted. But right. it's like right now, it's like I, I feel so bad because I have I have tons of people asking me about rhinos, but I'm like, hey, they're not ready. Like they they need a lot to be consistently feeding, and so far I have one that is consistently feeding, and I haven't even sexed them yet. Like I'm sorry, but they're not ready yet, and. People are like, oh, well, let me know. I'm like, I will, sure. Like, it, it it's not going to be, like, they're not going to be ready next week. <laughs> like, I hope you know. Because <laughs> right. you're like, oh, give me a couple days. Like, it, this this could take a while. It can take yeah. a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think one cool thing for me, for breeding, mm. why I like breeding, is that you get to see the whole life cycle of the, of the species. Yeah, and, doing, you know? and for From me. out of the egg to adult breeding again. I mean, when you're breeding your own stock. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's sweet spot. It's one of those things where it's like I raised this animal's grandparents. Right. And then I bred them and I produced its parents and then I bred them and now I got this one. It's like looking back at it, it's freaking awesome. And um, I picked up uh, yesterday, I picked up a male that I'd given to a friend out of one of my first breedings in 2011, mm-hmm. 2010, and it came back. I'm like, this is the prettiest red I've ever produced. What the hell's wrong with me? Why did I let this thing go? Because I wasn't thinking, but now it's here again, and I'm like, oh, crap, I can breed it to this one. And then it's like, well, I produced these two after I raised their parents, after I raised their grandparents. And it's like I love those kinds of connections where it's you see the prog- progress of the project. Um, yeah. yeah, so for sure. So <clears throat> the other the, the other probably thing worth mentioning is is that you know it's very stressful yes. on the animals, yes. especially the females. So sometimes things don't go right. Yeah, and sometimes you lose animals, uh, whether it's from egg binding, um, overduck tears. Um, you know. The list goes on and on yes. and on and on. You can have a female kill the male. You can have yes. uh, the male push the female off the cold spot and she can get sick. I mean, I've had that. Yeah, I, I've had that too. You can have all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, I had the two white lips beat the hell out of each other and I had to take them to the vet to get fixed, like, you know, stitches. Like, it's, this oh, is, I, no, the white lips, the white lips oh. did this. The white lips did this. The other insane animals that I keep keeping. Mm. So it's, um, but, and that's the thing. If, if you're not prepared for it, 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 it can be daunting. And it, and it, like I said, it can be dangerous. And like, if you have a female that you need to be able to trust your eye, like if I have a female that I think's on the fence about breeding, err on the side of caution. 
consider. Yeah. Don't do it because there's nothing wrong with waiting for one more season. Right. Give her the year. Like, get, get, like, there's nothing. We're not the cutting edge. We're not. We're not. We're not sitting there going like, if I don't breed her, somebody else will beat me to it, and I'll lose thousands and thousands. Of that's not happening. Well, that used to be the mentality. It didn't even used to like. And the problem is that it shouldn't have been that mentality because if you're, if I'm here and you and I both have caramel jags, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to beat you to produce, I don't know, exanic caramel jags, and mm-hmm. I'm pushing my females. The problem is, is that we have the ingredients to make them, which means that there's somebody else further up the chain who's already made them because he allowed the ingredients to be sold down to us. That's true. And I'm not specifically talking about carpets per I know. se. I am, it's, I am, yeah. I am like, you know, ball python. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. But, but yeah, you I'm with you. But if you push it, she might end up dying. And then congratulations, you can't even breed her next year if you just wait. Always err on the side of caution. Well, that's how I lost poison ivy. It so it, it, I've I mean, lost animals that way too. Yeah, you talk about a special snake. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, so I thought um, you know before we get into that. So I, I would say this, and this is to me is this is another one of those Eric sayings. There's no one right way to breed snakes. There's just the hell of a lot of wrong ways. <laughs> <laughs> and that's hilarious because I love telling people what kind of I've done. And it almost seems like I'm holding stuff and I'm not, I'm just telling you exactly what I've done and how I've experienced what I'm not going into is the like millions of ways I've failed or something has gone horribly wrong. So yeah. it, it, it's funny when I talk to some people online, because, you know, I started um, doing like dipping into Reddit snake stuff a little bit more, which Oh, Reddit. Okay. No, that's it's horrible over there. <laughs> what is my bread? What is my snake? They told me it was a red hypo bread lie. <laughs> all of this is wrong. <laughs> like I don't, and I don't want to sit here and correct all you people. But it, right. but it, it's like you see that, and I mean, I remember I was reading something on Facebook where some guys like my snake hasn't eaten in a month, and I keep trying to feed him. Normally, he eats every week. I'm like, stop stop <laughs> like yeah. stop and it's like and i think i wrote this thing i wasn't trying to knock the guy i was like listen dude my snakes regularly don't eat for months when they're breeding just because your snake hasn't eaten a month eaten it in a month doesn't mean that something's wrong but you know maybe consider taking to a vet also leave it alone like you don't have to keep trying to feed it every week it, it's clearly not eating just right. leave it be so you know it's the problem is, I think, as new herpers, you kind of ground into it that, number one, it has to eat to be healthy. And number two, it has to eat a frozen thawed European white mice. You know, right. which I, I've been experimenting on. The <laughs> yeah, you and Riley both. Right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the problem is that Riley and I do this thing where we're like, I bet you could eat that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, and- we fed uh, we fed our adult blackhead females some drumsticks today just for the hell of it. Yes, that, that, those are my favorite right now. Is I'm doing that to bulk up my females for winter because it's like, here's your rat. And I don't feel like throwing medium rats at these things every because they're expensive as shit. So it's like rat drumstick. <laughs> like in the- have, you, have you fed these drumsticks before? Yeah. Like they're just yeah. it's it's just a it's like you get yeah. it at the supermarket. Eric, you probably see them all the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do yeah. all the time. Yeah. No, I was gonna ask, like what does the what does the shit look like? Normal. Is it normal? Oh it's 
Well, it's no good. I, uh, <laughs> let's put it this Bro. way. It's for, I mean, I fed like chicken wings to the Collier Brids and they'll like shit out an entire like clean bone and that's weird but it's like yeah, that's what i was gonna ask Is there, like, solid bones and shit? With python dude it's maybe a little bit runny but like other than that man, they're also still eating rodents so it's not really that much like it's not a strict 100 percent bird diet so I-, I haven't seen too much of a problem mm-hmm. and there's no bones coming out in the carpet python shit they it dissolves everything. Yeah, you probably just get more urates than anything, and I, they I, hit I, they I, hit such a high enough basking, you know, temperature. Yeah. You know, they're digesting that, no problem. Yeah, it's problem. it was it's like I said, it's a way to supplement their food where I'm not going broke buying medium rats. You know, well, yeah. and the other thing is, it's good variety and different types of meat. Different proteins vary in different contents overall and, and the vitamins and minerals associated with it. So if you're covering a spectrum, you're really giving your animal a good, healthy option and array of different things and then oils as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, on top of being able to sort of like give your wallet a break, it gives their digestive system a break. Because if you're giving them large rodents all the time, a lot of that hair comes out the back end and some roughage is good for the digestive system in the long term. But like every couple of weeks getting a bunch of, you know, hair for some species is pretty tough. Yeah. Especially because these are not, you got to think about it is that some of some of these animals, there's at least some of the animals that I have, the mice and rats are not the normal menu item. It is not, it's normally fish, lizards, frogs, something like Mm -hmm. that. So, necessarily something with a ton of fur on it is not going to be the best for them. So, mm-hmm. and also I am in the school of, I don't care what you eat, just eat on your own and I will get you the food rather than me having to force you to eat mice and then like get you onto my page. I don't care. I'll work it. I'll work it out with you. You eventually you'll come to where I'm at. And it's like the sweet spot with carpets is when they're close to a year old, they don't even look the, the drawer opens like I bet you're pretty sure I could feed it a spark plug. Like they'll just swing their head at it. I mean, like it's it. So yeah, I mean, get it to about a year old, and then the transition over to frozen thawed white mice is not going to be that hard, you know. So yeah, I, I haven't had any problems feeding um, every single all my snakes will eat chicken and fish. So okay. Yeah, and then I had um, I told Air, I told both of you actually about this one. Um, I have some of the baby rhinos are eating live feeder fish, and um, I bought, I think they were like six for a buck, at my local pet store. So I bought like twelve, and I didn't need twelve, so I had a couple extra, and I've had two baby carpets that were been not feeding, the red jag I got from Eric. And then a super caramel jag male that I hatched that like, I mean, he was small, small, small when he hatched. And I literally put three fish in their water bowls, three live fish. And I closed their drawers and I walked the hell away. Came back. All three fish were gone. In both, <laughs> both I'm like, I, get- I was gone for maybe an hour. Like, I mean, they keyed on those things. I guess it's probably good that, you know, as far as um, you're probably closer to what they're eating in the wild anyway uh, when you're mixing it up like that. Because 
you know, they're they're opportunistic, right? You know, and they're gonna. But but like take now, whatever they can get. Now I have a starting point. So all right, I'm already gonna end up going to the pet store for more fish for the rhinos. Like I'll just keep doing that, and then eventually I will get these two carpets to eat scented mice. And eventually I will get them to eat unscented mice. And then it's on. Like, it, it's fine. Like, they're eating. I don't have to touch them. I don't have to grip them. I don't have to shove a freaking pinky head or a mouse tail down their throat. They're just going to eat what's there. And whatever, they'll eat fish. I don't care. It, the, the Three little fish went into that one snake. And then he shed and he's doing fine. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now I don't have to try to stress you out and grip you up and do all that fun stuff. So it's more stress off of me, more stress off of them. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that, um, that's my <clears throat> insight is that when all else fails, feeder fish. Put it, I put it in their water bowl. <laughs> like, and they just swim around. Yep. So, <laughs> nice. It's like garter snakes, right? Yeah. That's so, how he's like my Kribos. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, what? I don't know why it's we limit that to that's for garter snakes. That's for Kribos. Not for pythons. It's like no, it's for snake. <laughs> like it just use it. So why not? Yeah, why not? So I guess um, let's let's start with this. Let, let's Riley. What, what's your thoughts on what what are what are what is like the main thing you want to have ready that you have ready before you go into breeding season? Like what would you tell people? You need this food. A lot of food. Right. Um, I think. I think the first thing that I do every year, right around, I'd say like the summer, uh, summertime, I put in a big order for prepping my adults to have enough caloric intake. Yeah. Right. And uh, I stock up on like medium and large rats um, and smalls as well. And, you know, July, August, September, you know, those are heavy feeding months for me. Well, maybe not so much July, but August, September, and then coming into October will right. be the last month of feeding. Right. And, uh, and then, yeah, I, I can usually put in enough food for that and then just be ready to rock. And then you get two months off or so of them not eating. And that's when you stock up on baby food. Do you, yeah. do you feed the babies during your winter or do you take your break from feeding everybody? I mean, I'll offer them every two weeks or so, but like yeah. if they're not going to take it, I'm not pushing it. I so don't really you, sweat you it. Twist it down. You kind of turn it down a little bit. Maybe. Oh, absolutely. The, the whole room eats considerably less during yeah. the winter. Um, I think during the winter, I might even offer the babies just once a month if they're yeah. looking thin, you know, offer them something. Because last season I had no issues and I didn't really feed that much. So. Right. So the thing that I was going to ask, actually, you and Owen are probably more in this camp than me, um, because basically everything I have is from Australia, right? So it sort of like fits within that box. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I'm either, you know, with, with carpets and with Australian pythons, you'll have some that breed in the wintertime and some that breed in the springtime. So the way I have it set up is that the springtime breeders are separate from the wintertime breeders in separate rooms. So I don't have to worry about them being cooler or cold, you know, for longer period of time, or it helps me keep straight in my head. This room is basically, you know, doing nothing for these months and I'm focusing on this room. And then when you're getting eggs from, from, from that, you know, the, the spring room, 
or from the winter room, the spring room is going to start, you know, breeding and whatnot. So my question to you guys, you know, uh, how do you balance like Asian colubrids <laughs> with Australian pythons? And you're in the same room. To be you know, honest, because... Asian colubrids probably love winter room, winter python room. It's probably perfect. Well, um, am I wrong to think it's probably not even the same? You're not even thinking the same way, though, right? It's, I mean, you got to. It's got to be a weird. Like, I would say that it is. It, it's harder to think about it. It's easy to, to split the hair when it comes to colubrid versus python, because it's like. North American colubrids are the easiest. You you fill their bin with mulch and you leave them the hell alone for several months. Right. Like, for it, 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 exactly for us. It's not easy for Australia to I breed get them. it. Well, you shouldn't be having North American colubrids in Australia anyway. So in the book, snakes in Australia. Anyway, so. Um, so but the you know I would say that it um, it's harder when it's like all right. So I did not have success with the olive pythons breeding them like a coastal carpet python um did not have success it's when i pushed them to bread lie territory which is something i normally don't do with python species is when i had success so i would say that you kind of have your mixture of what pythons can do and then you kind of have a different thing with what colubrids do because so like my asian rat snakes um i'm probably going to take out of the room and put into the cold room because i want them to get a little bit colder but my other colubrids, like I have my Kribo, they're weird because they kind of don't want to do the full winter like the corn snakes and the king snakes. They kind of want to have a little bit of heat and stuff like that. So they're going to stay in the room with the carpet pythons. Where the big ones are, and my huge-ass question marks, are my Madagascar hogs. Because I tried treating them like a corn snake last year and nothing freaking happened. And uh, four of them decided that they didn't want to eat up until halfway through this year. So this year, I'm going to treat them more like a Australian python. I'm going to try to dip them down low, raise them up high, dip them down low. Like, they're going to have a temperature fluctuation, kind of like what Riley was doing with his stuff. So kind of building off of that um, is where that is. So it's almost like you got to find what the animal needs. And if you can plug it into a cage and kind of be comfortable around other animals, that's cool. If not, you have to split it off. So the more species you get means the more rooms you're going to need for breeding. Exactly. So it's like eventually I'll end up having animals in like boxes underneath my bed. Like it's, you know. Yeah, I just imagine it's – I guess maybe it's just not how my brain works, but I like know, it dude, it's mind numbing. Oh. I know. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's <laughs> confusing. I, I, it straight, I have a whole word document that has the dates of like just just dates, and it has what animal needs to be at this temp on this date, and it's all over the freaking place <laughs> up until one point in winter time where everyone's at 60. <laughs> it's like, hooray, except for like these other pythons that stopped over here. So it's, you gotta, it's almost like you gotta figure out where everybody stops in the temperature downgrade and where everybody levels off. And it's at different intervals. And it's, yeah, it's mind numbing. Hmm. How do you balance it, Riley? What's your. I see. I don't have a ton of those, et cetera, species like oh, and I think he's he's got the addiction worse than I do. But um, <laughs> uh, 
I think I would have a lot more trouble if I, if I had more, I think I wouldn't be able to accomplish some of the lows that some of them need in just one room. I just don't think it would be possible. Um, right. But within, you know, what I do have, you know, you stagger things from the top of the stack to the bottom, you know, the, the lower cage tends to get a couple degrees cooler. You keep that in mind. Um, you can play with location near a window if you have it. Or if it's like two racks on top, you can sort of stagger which, you know, control setting for the top half. And depending on how many animals in the space you have, you can, you can sort of finagle and get away with some of it within reason. But like, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't expect to breed diamond pythons in this room or, um, you know, get a lot of those Asian colubrids down low enough in here without putting other animals too cold. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, that's something that you should probably think about too, if you're going to breed. I mean, you know, if you're, if it seems that at the moment, herpticulture is sort of this, uh, you know, it's like, I want to work with this crazy, you know, uh, mix of species, if you will, which is awesome. But, um, you still, you know, you have like, um, you have these different species that are going to require different things. And if you don't, if you don't think about that ahead of time, that, that could lead you to have a problem. Yeah. And what I would recommend is that if you have different species that maybe might be a little bit on the tricky side, right. Is try to see if there's a breeder from where they're from, like their native range that is having success. I mean, I, got all my temps straight from like K brothers. Um, they did like a podcast YouTube video on how they breed their olive pythons. And I'm like just writing it down as they're talking and then converting it from Celsius to Fahrenheit. And I'm like, okay. And I mean, the part, right? Oh yeah. That was, and that was the weirdest. I'm like, I, I've never heard this. Cause it was always the, you need two males and then you just treat them like normal pythons. And I think a lot of times in herpticulture, we kind of tell you what, got us some success, but not like continued success. Like, yeah, if you keep bread lie at room temperature or treat them like normal carpet pythons, you might be able to get a clutch every now and again. But if you drop them down low, you can consistently get clutches every year. So Hmm. it's one of those things where, yeah, maybe you can hit an olive python clutch if you do it this way. But if you drop them down low enough, you can get consistent breeding. It's funny you say that because in my preseason note, my thing is it's important to realize that breeding pythons with consistency is a year-round project. Right. Like everybody's like, I bred olive pythons. I'm like, no, I got lucky. If I get them this year, then yes, I bred olive pythons. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't consider it I don't consider it a win until I've done it two years in a row. I th- I think though there's this idea that you can just put two animals together yeah, and, corn and they breed. No, not even. I fucked that up this year. (laughs) (laughs) And you really can't. I mean, sometimes you'll have people that get lucky. And the the stars just align and it happens. Um, But but like, repeat it. You know, two years, Mm -hmm. I've heard that how you treat your female, like right now in 2020, Mm -hmm. is going to affect her in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I mean, let's put it this way. I have, I've had the same couple females breed the past two years. 
Right. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, you get a year off, you get a year off, you get a year off. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, so I don't need any more of your babies. So you get a year off and you get a year off. I'm like, crap, I'm out of females. Like, it's like one of those <laughs> things where like, as far as coastals this year, I'm, I think I'm doing like three pairings and then everything else is like jungle. <laughs> like I'm not even doing a bread lie. I'm not doing any bread lie. Riley, there's someone behind you. <laughs> Good job, buddy. Way to go, Owen. Yeah, you're welcome. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this one of those things where it, I, I don't need several clutches of bread like because I still have het stone wash, which is something I can create, and I still have a ton of normal baby, like straight up normal babies that I produced this year. So right. looking at 2021, what could I do? I could produce 100% headstone wash. Already got those. I could produce normal bread lie. Already got those. So why the hell am I? I'm not going to breathe the bread lie. Screw it. So they get years off, the year off. And yet I'm still at 20-something pairings. With all these animals that I'm giving the year off, all this stuff I'm not breeding, I'm still at 20-something pairings. Right. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, no, I suck. <laughs> that's a lot, buddy. Um, so, like, so, so when do you start... You know, when do you start to look at animals and, and when do you start to put your pairings together? I mean, for me, you know, I kind of I, I have this two two way approach. Right. Mm-hmm. When I buy a snake and I'm going to you know, this is going to fit into a breeding project. Um, I'm looking at, you know, when do I think that animal is going to come of age? So for carpet pythons and we're talking the winter stuff. So we're talking. Coastals, jungles, IJs, uh, um, I guess you could throw inlands in here too, but I look yeah. at them as more spring breeders. Anyway, Darwin's, um, you know, they're, I would say three three to four years is what I shoot for. You know, probably more four for females. Um, so I already know that, you know, in 2022, well, I'm going to breed because, well, what I think I'm going to breed, you know, because of, of that, looking at that, like that time frame, I say, okay, she'll be ready in 2022. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. I've had where, you know, females have gone that year earlier. I've had where females have gone a year later. Like, like we said at the beginning, I'm not in any rush to where I try to push one way or the other. You know, I've missed out on many, many, you know, world's first or whatever, if you will, as far as the more thing goes, like who even gives a shit. But anyway, um, just because I wasn't pushing my animals so I could say I'm the first, who cares? (laughs) You know? Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, so for me, as I get closer to say June, I start to really look at my girls really look like either who put the weight back on from the year before, if they bred the year before, right. Um, or are, is this female up to size and ready to go? Um, and I kind of look at a couple things. One, I don't really look at the weight. I look at the age and I've said this a million times. Yeah. I look at the head, yep. <laughs> you know, and they just have a look. I don't know how to explain it other than they just have, they look like an adult snake. Um, <laughs> They get yeah. the maturity. Like it, it's, I, I, I've had several males where it's like they're hovering on the edge of it for years, it seems like. And then all of a sudden, the muscles behind their head just get big and they get that arrowhead shaped head. And it's like, that's a mature male. Yeah, and I've yeah. had females where I'm like, oh, it didn't breed. And then during the 
season after it didn't breed after its first year, it puts on weight and it gets a bunch of muscles and it gets a more mature head and a more mature body. And I'm like, Oh, there we go. That's why you didn't breed. You weren't ready. And then the next year X. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's my approach. So what Riley, what do you, how do you figure out your parent? When are you figuring out your pairings? What's your process? I mean, realistically, I'm thinking about my pairings anytime I'm holding back or purchasing an animal. Um, right. But, you know, more long or more for the specific season, I'm thinking about it usually around spring, summer. And I'm already looking at, you know, okay, what are my options? How many animals are of age overall? And I'll put together a list of all my females that, you know, theoretically are mature enough to get the job done. And then right. I'll have a list adjacent to it of all the males. And then I'll look at like, okay, never doing those. That's an abomination. That's a hybrid. That's a sin. Those are the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, never making those mutts. Um, good, good, good. But then, but then what I'll do is I'll realistically whittle it down. And then I'll think about, you know, what I did last year, what my goals are long-term with some of these projects. Um, and then, you know, think about, well, okay, if I do this this year, how's that going to affect next year? But yeah, usually I'm thinking about my projects kind of nonstop all summer long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you have to be because I mean, even then when you look at your girls after they lay their eggs, you, you have to be considering that in like, uh, April or May that, all right, you're, you're getting the year off next year mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're sitting your head like, all right, this is your third clutch in a row. And I don't want to push you any further. So right. that's where you turn that spigot off. So then you can feed them and then you can consider that. But then you're also looking at the girls that you're growing up where it's mm-hmm. like, all right, you're, you're four, this is your year. Or you might be like, hold off. Like, yeah. it's like, I have two girls that if I had pushed, I probably could get them to go this year. I don't want to push them. You know, right. I don't want to have to deal with that. Like I said, I'm doing 10 carpet clutches this year and mm-hmm. yeah, only, coastals are half of them. Like I only got five coastal pairings yeah. and if I were jungle pairings and I wanted to cut down on jungles, how the hell did this happen? I blame Eric. Yeah. Look at you. Owen. It's like, I'm like, I'm breeding these things and then that's it. I'm done. I've had it. Like, it's, <laughs> and you're going to pass them up and pass them on somebody. I'll ruin somebody else's life. But it's, it, but then there's on top of that, the rest is like Ruffies, um, Kribo. Blue Beauties. Um, I'm not even breeding corn snakes this year, or I'm not breeding the snows. It's just like because I have I'm 22 baby corn snakes. I don't need more corn snakes. <laughs> like it's like um, I might not even breed the rhinos, depending on how this clutch goes with feeding. And that's the other thing you got to think about is like what do you have in the what do you have right now in your baby racks? You know, is it intelligent to keep producing? the same shit every year well yeah i was going to ask this question too because it's sort of like you know when i was doing more morph focused pairings right it was really looking at the market and trying to predict what people are going to want that following year right and when you were just when you're just creating things that don't exist yeah. That's sort of easy. Easy, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're Everybody, like, yeah. You're, you're just sort of doing it. But, you know, I think <clears throat> I think that's another thing that's sort of like, I don't know, turned me off of if it's the right word or whatever. But, like, you know, the whole 
looking at the market and trying to predict what, you know, I do that for a job, man. I, I, this is supposed to be an escape. I don't want, you know, I got to predict what people are going to eat and what's, you know, I'll I'll help you get turkeys in November. Oh no, before November. Shit. I've already ruined it. Um, but it's, yeah, damn it. No, but it's, it's one of those things that you're right. You have to think about that stuff, but also you got to think about the pairings that you're making. If you're doing more stuff, you're everybody always considers the top thing. You know, oh, I'm going to breed these and then I'll make caramel Xanax and those will sell for this. Okay, you might get two of them, but then there's the rest of the stuff that's in the clutch that now you have to sell as well. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know, I'm with the uh, what is it? Um, The uh, what are they called? The BMK, the black. Uh, Mexican Black King Six? Mexican Black, yeah, Kings. Mexican Black King Six, right? Yeah. So, like, weren't they, like, the hot thing, like, two yeah, years ago? Yeah, and sort of it kind of fizzled out, right? Oh, MBKs were, like, for the longest time, even when I was coming up, they were, like, $80 each or something like that. Maybe it's also under, like, 100 bucks each. They were cool. I had a pair. They were jet black. I got rid of them because I'm an idiot. And then it's to clarify my point, so go ahead. Yeah, okay, then you're welcome. Um, then at yeah. some point, people kind of realized that there weren't any being produced and they weren't there and people were like oh crap where all the mbks go and everybody starts running around there start asking breeders hey do you got any mexican black king snakes and these breeders are like no but they had a pair or two pairs of adults in the back they hadn't been breeding because there was no point you know they the babies were worthless they were they weren't worth their time so now people are running around looking for them so now a bunch of people start breeding them again which means that I think at one point I saw them for four hundred something each, Riley. I mean, it was yeah, yeah. yeah. So they got nuts. They yeah. got nuts. They got nuts. Yeah. And then they, like, and that's hey, anybody who had them, more power to you for you know hanging on to them. I was a dumbass. <laughs> but I had Python snob to think like four hundred bucks, like <laughs> out of the market. Like, like, I know. Come on, it's, man. <laughs> That's the that and that that's just me. I mean, I, that's just I'm I'm uh, I'm right. so broken. So it's, but it's like that's that's awesome. I mean, that's cool because then, but now, like you kind of see that where people had people were just selling MBKs as fast as they could get them, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the white scales will totally turn black. That's not necessarily true. So it's oh, oh then you got that part of it. Yeah, oh, and then you got that part of it, and you got this part of it, and you got. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just I think I think my point was though, and see if you guys agree with me or not. But like, I think what happens with the snake market is is that you have supply and demand. Yes, which is, I'm with that. You know, it's like you have a low supply of this; they're in demand because somebody hyped them up, and you know, somebody was talking about them on a podcast. It could be you know whoever had whoever on as a guest and you know that show was awesome and a lot of people listened to it that could affect that you know that affects me that affects you i'm sure that affects riley you know um but you know create your own market Mm. do what you want to do and not what you think is going to be cool so because the reason i say that is because you know i heard everybody talking about how they wanted to get mexican black king snakes Right. right by the time you get them and raise them up <laughs> and go to produce them. The babies will be $20. They will not be cool anymore, <laughs> and they will be $80 again. Yeah. It, yeah. And you're you're going to constantly be chasing that, and it's better to sort of be you be the, be the person that has the species because you love it. Yeah. Eventually, at some point, your number is going to get pulled. 
Yeah. Now, if you're breeding that species because you love that species, then you're going to be the person because that's who they're going to go to because they're going to go to you because you're the person that, you know, is, is passionate about this species. Right. As opposed to, you know, trying to chase. To me, I don't look at that any different, even though you're not doing a morph. To me, that is no different than the morph. Chase. It's the same thing. I mean, and also I would even say with, uh, say, rare species or, or rarer pythons. Right. Sabus, teamers, all that shit. People are like, something about it is that people are all about team wars right now. And then I literally have fielded three messages from people who I go on their Facebook pages because they messaged me through Facebook, which already tells you where we're going with this. And they're like, would you consider selling me your team wars? And I click on their page and they have no reptile stuff at all. Like they maybe got like a couple ball pythons or something like that, but they want the team wars because they want to breed the team wars because everybody wants team wars. And it's like, go away. <laughs> like I'm not selling you my team wars because you've decided you want to throw your hat in the ring on this one. And it's, Right. Yeah. It's, so, Riley, oh, go ahead. Good. No, I'm good. I was going to say, Riley, how do you see that now? I mean, now your new job, you're in a more yeah, retail part in. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's that? there's two main trajectories I see that drives market shifts in big ways for species like that. And I think the first one is exactly what you said. If you've got an authentic person who's super passionate about that species and they stick with it long enough and they communicate that long enough, eventually they become known as that person for that snake. And they sort of create their own market that sort of has a ripple effect from their, you know, just truly genuine enthusiasm, especially if it is a suitable pet snake, you know, like if it's got, if it checks all the boxes. um, Yeah. I think that is one of the biggest trajectories case in point, Garrett Hartle with super course. He's not the only one, but I guarantee you ask anybody who do you think that is the most in love with super dwarfs is who would you go to for them? Who do you think has the best quality? His name's going to come up every time because yeah. that's exactly what he did. The other trajectory that drives, um, you know, enthusiasm in the market shift and growth for a species is, is speculation and hype. Uh, And I say those together because they sort of have the same effect, even though they're two different things. Speculation is can come from hype and hype can create speculation or the other way around. Speculation can create hype, but they're not tied to any one truly passionate entity or person necessarily. It's usually starts with a couple and then it snowballs and basically becomes a trend. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it burns out after about three to four years when, you know, everybody gets in while the getting's good and the price is hot and people are paying for it at the instant that it jumps up. But then soon as that ball drops and nobody wants to pay it anymore, you don't see it. And then all those people that got those snakes will have to sit on those animals and raise them up for several years. And what you will see is you will see it, the market go back down because you'll see the people who aren't truly passionate about it that were just following the hype and speculation sell out and cut their losses and that's what brings the market back down to whatever that equilibrium is for that animal and you see that in retail you see that in direct sales you see that in wholesale and that's not even just animals you see that in everything so that's just that's just human nature and how a market works and it's very predictable especially when we're talking about um you know the trends and and what can come in or whether it's a closed market 
And, and it's just, it's ebbs and flows of, you know, any natural market. It's, it's borderline predictable. It's just, there's so many variables of the species that can, you know, sort of be that hot thing at the time that that's where paying attention to what, you know, the social media and the community is doing and saying, will sort of keep you tuned in. But yeah, it's all, it's all driven by people one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, kind of like Justin Kabelka, right? So mm-hmm. like, he's the guy who sort of has, um, I've said this for a long time. It's like a vision, right? You sort of mm-hmm. have a vision. Uh, I think Matt Minatola has that vision. He's sort of like, he's just able to sort of look at his Borneos and sort of have an idea of where he wants to take a project, which is a lot difficult. It's more difficult to do with Borneos than uh, I think maybe any oh, other so. Python because they're so freaking variable. So mm-hmm. like, you know, what you think may turn one way is going to turn something completely different. I mean, Keith did this before Matt and, and Matt sort of is the guy right now, but I think like, you know, you look at him, you, you talked about Garrett, you talked to uh, Matt's another one that comes to mind where he's known as just like his Borneos are just next level. I mean, there's, to me, there's nobody that t- there's people that come close, but th- to me, he's the guy. If you want a Borneo short tail, you go to Matt Minnetola. Right. Um, and then, you know, you have this whole, like, you know, the Justin Kobelka thing is like, okay, so you'll have these morphs in the ball python market. And, you know, nobody gives a shit about, you know, what was it? Uh, Red Stripe, I think, was the mm-hmm. one that was mm-hmm. sort of like infused into the yep. clown stuff. Yep. Um, he even did it with clown. Like, clown was sort of this... Nobody's really doing that much with it. I think maybe the only other guy that comes to mind would be... Um, Ozzy, yeah, know? he, he yeah. would be the other one that comes to mind. Um, but basically, they're taking Gene because they're like, "Oh, okay, this Gene is sixty bucks, and nobody gave a shit about it or whatever." And I'm going to put it in here because I think it's going to do this to this. And then he breeds it, and then the next thing you know, he has the molten lava thing. And then the guy's just genius when it comes to, you know, uh, putting it out there, promotion, all that kind of stuff. Um, right. And, you know, it becomes the new thing. So then everybody is after that gene now. What, what yeah. I propose to you is, is that have the time to think about that yeah. vision and what do you want to do? You be a Justin Cabelco or a Matt Minotola or a Garrett Hartle or whatever you want to say. You be that person and set your own mark. And, and, and it's going to take longer to do. Oh, yeah. But I think the payoff is going to be much greater in the long term. And I think it makes for a much healthier reptile hobby because you have people that, you know, I can appreciate Kribos. I don't have any, but I can appreciate Kribos when you guys are talking about them, right? I mean, come on, man. It's like a cobra without the venom. You yes, know I mean? that's, it's like, that, that is exactly amazing it. Snakes, yeah. <laughs> you know, not necessarily something that I would run out and get, you know, but um that's that's your wheelhouse i'm not trying to follow you i'm trying to do my own thing over here you know what i'm saying like and it's for me with the ijs right you know riley and me are big time in the ijs Owen, you can give two shits less (laughs) (laughs) and that's fine not there and i've never tried to sway you to it and you've never swayed to it you know only because you know that that's not your thing you know exactly Um, you know what know what you're it, just you do might what as, you like. Exactly. Do what you like. Because guess what? You, it's not – there's going to be moments where you want to just throw everything against the wall and be like, screw it. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. Like, you know, it's – that's just the way it is. So 
But you have something you love, and if you're passionate about these animals, you will return to it. If you don't give a damn, that's it. That'll be your breaking point, and you'll sell everything and get out. So if your thing is Amazon tree boas, do it. Do it. Breed the Amazon tree. And let's say you like, I I don't know. Yeah. Breed them. Do it. Like, let's, like, you love eating snakes. Cheapest bullshit that everybody's like, why do you want that? Because I want it. Fuck you. Sell it to me. Like, yeah, I don't care. Do it. Because then you know what? It's like eventually you will do it. And if you have something to contribute, yeah, maybe it may not be something to herp the culture, like the hobby. Like, uh, I bet I bred patch nose snakes. Well, no one in herp the culture cares. But then there might be some researcher at some zoo or someplace. It's like, holy crap, dude, tell me, like, you know, how you did that. I I think the thing of it is, though, is that we're trying to preserve it for the net. Like, okay, so we've been handed the football. Yes. It's our job to make sure that we don't drop it and hand it off to the next. Right. right? So, like, and, and hopefully we make it a little better than it was when we got it. Right. You know, and, and that's just the whole way the world should work, really. I mean, that's sort of like, I you mean, know, I, you have my vote. I don't understand. Are you running? <laughs> so it's, I can't be any worse. I, I don't know. Oh, let's, not, you know let's not turn this into a politics. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway. Um, but you're right. And here's the thing is that, you know, so that two years, you know, I mean, not two years, 20 years from now. Right. You know, uh, little Susie or little Joey decide that they want a patch no snake or a Kribo or an IJ. And, you know, Indonesia is shut down and they don't ship in anymore. And we got snakes coming from Australia, but we can't get snakes from Indonesia anymore. <laughs> like Australia. Oh, God, could you it. imagine what hell that would be? <laughs> Australia opened it up. Well, I mean, I'm Everybody happy. Shut it down. <laughs> like, we would be happy. I mean, yeah. Change. But Jesus. Uh, but, you know, it. You're right. And you've got to think about it this way. When when we got into her, we had that discussion all the time of what it was like when we got into it versus what it is like now. I say there are a lot more publications. There are a lot more books. There's a lot more free sharing of information. There's a lot more apps out there that help you with this, that, and the other thing. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Technology is advanced further, so you can do other things with that stuff. I mean, we're not hooking heat panels up the dimmer switches we have four hundred dollar computer systems that are running our cages and we still fuck it up like you know it's so there's that kind of stuff but i would say that right now we are in a very very um we're in a very nice advancement in herp the culture you know with, with the cage companies that are out there with the supplies that are out there with the knowledge that is being spread with like since carbon python since i started carbon pythons there's now two books and a podcast like yeah i mean right. i don't know what it, like the like, next is a movie like it's <laughs> what else do you want so uh there's a lot of information out there so i think we should definitely be trying to push that you know envelope to see what we can learn to pass on to try to discuss for further well, yeah, that's sort of another reason why I like doing this show, breeding and as you don't just like talking to me. I mean, that's insulting. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean this show in particular oh. because I think I think each year I think I think maybe what the listeners are getting as is as we maybe um, push a thought. Man, our you dumbass I mean? has learned and, something. And, yeah, and, and the <laughs> idea is is that you're going to take what we're saying and you're going to apply it in your own way. Right. You know what I mean? Your own way. I mean, the most important thing that I can say in this breeding episode is that how I do things, how Owen does things, how Riley does things. You know, this is just a base to sort of to to 
to, to go from, you know, like there's certain parameters that you have to hit. Right. And then other than that, it's just really paying attention to your snakes. If you pay attention to what your snakes are telling you, you will have success. Right. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Like right now I asked you guys earlier, I think I asked Riley this earlier today. Like we were talking about, I noticed that, and I've never noticed this before, even though it's been what, 10 years of doing this. That right now, my females are on fire. <laughs> yeah. They just want to eat yeah. everything. It's dangerous. We call it, <laughs> yes, what is it, October, September, October is bite Ooh. season because <laughs> yes. this is when you will get lit the F up by some of your biggest animals because you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, all all spring and all summer, they've just been curled up on top of their bins every time I go in to change their water. And now is when they're going to come flying at you from a corner and just right. nail you. Right. It's fun. I've had it happen. Like right. it's yeah. I'm I'm yeah. looking at a stack of adults right now and they're all sitting and they they've <laughs> all they've all eaten large meals within the last 48 hours and they've all moved their hides in the areas they want to sit and bask right next to the water bowl in case I decide to be dumb enough and reach in there and change it. <laughs> They're all right. staring at me right now, too. Like, come on, guy. Give us the rat. That's the other thing. is, like, dude, you'll walk into your room, and during the summer, like, some are sleeping, some are cruising, some are doing whatever. Right now, I walk into my room. I have the attention of every single animal in my collection. Mm-hmm. They're, like, perched. They're sitting. They're, they're waiting. Waiting. And, and right. this is when, like, I have had females hit the glass and, like, hook their lips on their teeth or something like that. Because yeah. they just, they, they'll, they'll just spring at it. And it's like, okay. So the thing you want to think about, and this is the thought I wrote down, is that the growth of follicles uses a great deal of the female's reserves, right? And so it's paramount that she has sufficient condition before the breeding cycle begins. I mean, I couldn't stress this enough that, like, you have to make sure that your female is ready to breed. Right. Feed to breed. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we – I think all of us are sort of like uh food cyclers right yeah yeah right okay so we're all sort of in the same same boat um but like right now i mean just pounding heavy food you know whereas like i might feed a female maybe i don't know once a month maybe as adults i'm feeding once a month out of this time frame you know maybe as they come they're coming out of uh after they laid eggs and i'm getting them and do smaller meals because they haven't eaten for so long, right. you know, give them a couple to get their system going and get the blood pumping and everything moving. And, da, 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 da. and then I'll give them some, some bigger meals until we're in this window now where I'm just feeding them every week. Yeah. You know, I get large rats every week, you know, here you go. Boom, yeah. Boom. I, I don't really do the, the heavy feed as we come into this, like I'll feed kind of almost consistent throughout all of uh, spring, summer after they are done laying eggs. Um, but now is when the size of the meals increase. So like the one snake eats a small rat, you know, all throughout or a medium rat is usually what the girls are. Now is when the large rats are getting busted out. And like, these things are so fat and huge after they eat, they just want to sit. And this way, you know, I don't have to like run around and mess around with a bunch of other stuff. But like, now I'm like, here's your medium rat. Now here's drumstick a couple days later, like it's one of those things where right now they're getting extra food because mm-hmm. then Halloween is usually your cutoff, right, Eric? Yeah, I, I kind of follow the holidays. Yeah, Halloween. It's easier to do that because then you Thanksgiving. Can, yeah, Christmas. that's another tip. 
give yourself <laughs> give yourself reminders of like I'm going to do this on this day. It really helps if you pick holidays because then you'll remember. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I've been sitting upstairs going, oh, like, what was I supposed to do? Oh shit! I was supposed to pull the Karibos out, like, and run downstairs, and right. like I was supposed to pull them apart like a week ago. It's like, yeah, it's one of those things, but um, it it. it so the spigot's going to turn off in Octo- uh, on Halloween. So right now my freezer's full, and I'm just going to keep pounding it down because then I shouldn't have to fill up anything uh, come – like I shouldn't have to refill it again. What I will do to kind of save my own sanity and wallet is I'll slowly fill it throughout winter and stuff like that so I'm ready in springtime when everybody wakes up because I want to give them a – uh, another small meal when they wake up in uh, end of February, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing that you, and I'm glad Riley's here because as we get to it towards the end, um, you know, he can maybe uh, just highlight a couple things and then you definitely should check out his video. We'll link it over on the uh, NPR Facebook page. But um, maternal incubation. I mean, you really have to make sure that your female is ready. I think I'm going to do it this year. Are you? Yeah. So, oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it's like my son is graduating. It's like, yeah, I'm so, so damn proud. You're becoming a man. <laughs> Next well, time we're in West Texas, we shall sit and smoke a peace pipe or something. Well, I mean, like, we could have done that now or last time. Maybe yeah. we would have gotten some alterna. But no, it, <laughs> but the, because uh, I have, I have my pears, but then I have a couple of like, I think I just might let one of the jungles just go. Like, all right. Do it. Yeah. So Riley, master of maternal incubation. Oh, um, sweet Jesus. <laughs> His head's uh, bigger now. So what do you do? What What is your game plan right now? Do you decide who, if you're going to do maternal incubation, or you just like, do you wait till the female lays and your females are all like, like all your females could do it. And then you sort of like look and gauge of the wrap of the eggs, whatever it would be. And you let that female go or are you picking specific snakes to, to do it with? So as long as the females have good body condition and I know they've been eating well and I, and I I feel like I'm pretty confident they're going to breed. I would love to let as many of them do MI as possible because it went so smoothly. And if you have the enclosure dialed in, and your female has what she needs in terms of fresh water and fat stores prior, it really should be the easiest incubation um, you'll ever experience uh, unless you're just one of those nervous wrecks that sits at the last drooling for 60 days or whatever it is. But, um, no, I, I would love to do it, I, although I do have the the asterisk where if the female doesn't beehive the clutch and doesn't you know wrap it up and do a good job with it obviously that's not going to happen um so gotta have the incubator ready and egg boxes ready i assume that there will be eggs going into the incubator uh even though i do ideally want to do mi as much as possible because it's i mean i enjoyed it and the results you know, blew me away and my expectations out of the water. So, yeah. Right. Likewise. Yeah. I think I, I talked to, when I was talking to Justin on the Herpticulture podcast, that was one of the things it was like, I just wanted to pull the bandaid off at the very first clutch I've ever done. So it didn't become a, because I've seen a lot of people in the Morelia world where they were sort of like afraid of it. 
more so chondro guys than carpet guys but it seemed that you know it was still something that they were nervous about i feel personally attacked by this conversation so (laughs) right (laughs) you should (laughs) (laughs) so uh so, like, you know, I just wanted, for me personally, I just wanted to do it so that all that, you know, um, yeah, uh, misconceptions or whatever, humidity, you know, like all these things that, that, that people are afraid of because they have control in their incubator. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Right. right? You sort of have to let go of control. Let, you know, for lack of a better word, Jesus take the wheel type of deal. That's the mentality you have to have. And you yeah. have to sort of like let it go. Yeah. Hope that nature is going to do what nature does. And nine times out of ten, she would probably incubate those eggs. You know, providing that, just like Riley said, that your cage is dialed in and whatnot. But like providing that that's good, she's going to do a better job than any incubator could ever do. Yeah, I mean... Opinion. My jungle female allowed temperature swings of up to like 10 degrees from high to low. You know, uh, I graphed um, all of the daily highs and lows for that two month period, and it was not consistent in any way, shape, or form other than the range it followed. And it was very predictable. And guess what? I got big, healthy, awesome babies. So I think that was in the complete carpet as well. But I have to say, like, it makes you sort of think like we have this idea that it has to be 89 degrees. You know what I mean? And like it can't go to 88 and it can't go to 92. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? But like, I don't know, man. It shouldn't go to those extremes for long. But if it goes for an hour, it's going to come back down. I mean, like. Yeah, I mean, we're worrying about stuff that we that we think we know and we clearly have no grasp on. So why are we worrying about it? Why not just do it and figure it out? Right. And like to me, this is another thing. If you're going to do breeding like this is the type of so you look at like Lori. Right. I mean, she's doing behavior uh, analysis, if you will, and and doing different uh, studies and 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 taking all the data of um, how the, the especially Morelia, right? She does other stuff too, I know, but like Morelia is sort of her thing, and like she's she's studying this and 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 again pushing the hobby and our understanding of these snakes and and what they want and what as opposed to what we think they want um, further. You could also do that with breeding. You know what I mean? You could do like what Riley did and, you know, taking – what did you have to do it every Every, every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> Go and take the temps and stuff like that. Yeah. You could also get like – I know Nick and Justin both use – They like, got the probe logs. thing. Yeah. yeah, I get yeah. data loggers, hobo units, and just put it in there and you pull it out when it's done and download the data that way. That's the easy yeah. way to do it. Right. I, do you guys feed – during your your females while they're incubating or do you offer food and see if she takes it no i have not done it i have not felt the need to do it and the females that you know do mi it's because they're well conditioned and i shouldn't be concerned about needing a meal during that two-month period yeah good point i know there are people i've seen them i've Mm -hmm. seen it i've seen it as as far back as the mp days where i can't remember who it was but would um, feed during uh, incubation. A couple people yeah. did. Yeah, I think did. Ryan uh, Ryan Dumas did MI a few years ago and uh, fed his Jag female that was doing it uh, on the clutch. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was Ryan. 
but I, I, so. I I've seen a visual photograph of a jag coiled around a rat coiled around her clutch. Yes. Yeah. So it's like I remember having a conversation with Jason Dalen about it because to me he was he was sort of a big influence on me about maternal incubation because he sort of was like, Yeah, man, it's the greatest thing ever. He's just the snake fucking does the work, man. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome. Don't be mm-hmm. don't be a, don't be a baby. Just do it. And um it's it's you know, I was like, Okay, that's 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 great. You know, do you feed? And he's like, No, I don't feed because he was worried about if the snake were to shit on the eggs or your eggs or whatever and then the eggs up, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, whether that happens or not. I don't know, but I don't even want to put the female well, in that. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way: a good mother would not. But you know, yeah. several times we had. Oh, you gotta go. I mean, yeah, I mean, like <laughs> also the, you also have like the 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 females where it's like maybe it's their first time they don't really know what they're doing or they mm-hmm. they like you know they're like the water bowl is where these eggs should be. It's like no, like yeah, it's it's that. So it's one of those variables that you can eliminate. But like Riley said. I would almost feel like a female would need to have a little bit more weight on her to do maternal incubation. So the jungle that I'm thinking about uh, did not breed last year. So she had all last year off. Yeah, that's um, important. yeah. So she's basically got, and out of all my jungles, she is by far the chunkiest. So I'm like, you, if, if, if she gets gravid this year, I will let her go. Yeah. I would think that, Again, again, I'm, uh, this is not fact at all. It's just a thought. But, like, I would think in the wild that probably females are breeding every couple of years. Right? Uh, yeah, I would say that I would it's think not, that the yeah. cycle in the wild and trying to find food and, you know, get to size and get to condition and all this stuff. Is, and be is near the male different. at the right time and have him right. find you. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Right. So I think in captivity you can kind of, like, you can – you could probably do, but if you're going to do maternal incubation, I, I would say to err on the side of doing what's best for the snake, I mean, is to sort of, you know, think that you're going to give that female the next year off. I think it was when we were talking to Steve Katz, he was saying about how the reason that he doesn't really like to do maternal incubation is because he's going to be breeding that female again. The right, that female shot, pretty much. Right. But now, how do you guys feel about the... You know, I'm kind of almost in the mindset of year on, year off when it comes to certain snakes or two years on, year off kind of deal. Like, I I, I don't know. That's kind of what I do. I think I have too many. I I think I have like too many projects, too many animals, and I have too much overlap where if I breed these three animals, I'll get, you know, this, but then also get a bunch of caramel jacks, also get a bunch of caramels and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, so. It's almost like, all right, well, then you two sit, you breed this year. And then next year, you two will sit and you'll breed this year. So it's almost like that. We'll all still be making some stuff, but maybe not breeding the same, like, three females every year. Or um, right now, I got, like, boys coming out my ears that uh, I might be cutting loose because I don't need four of the same thing. And I end up having, you know, double this, double that. So... Yeah, I, I I think I think one thing that people have to think about though is like, you know, making sure that you have like a lot of people will go with like 1.2, yeah, you know, one male, two females, yeah. and think like, oh, well this male is going to breed these two females and whatever. 
But what happens if the male shits the bunk? That's that's <laughs> dude. That's why I'm holding on to several of these animals. Why, yeah. What happens if that male is not up to size? Or right. what happens if that male just doesn't want to breed? You know, yep. I mean, to have, you know, I know everybody focuses on the females as being important, but I think males are just as important in that kind of. Well, and then there's of the thing of like the worst thing that could happen is you don't get eggs that year. All right, but then you know the, a lot of stuff can happen in between a year or so. So. It's one of those things of why I haven't pulled the trigger on getting rid of more of those males is because, you know, the younger ones that are replacing them have not yet proven themselves or gone up to size yet. So, like, but again, it's one of those things of like um, this past year I had three caramel jag males breed Mm -hmm. to various females. You know, one was a tiger, one was a caramel tiger, one was a caramel. Cool. I got supers and also the stuff, and then I also got like a ton of caramels and a ton of this. So, you know, it's just one of those things of like now this year I'm looking at it and all those males are sitting because I don't need them to breed. I still have their babies. It's there's no point in redoing that. So I almost feel like we always talk about giving females the year off. Um, I'm finding more and more that I keep giving males like extended periods of time off like two years off here and then oh yeah i might plug you into this project and then toss it over there to breed um you know it's just one of those things so when do you decide that it's the cutoff for give that male a break or just sell it are you asking yes when do you when do you cut it off like say you have a male and you give him like a year off and then you give him the next year off then you give him a third year off do eventually you just sell that boy or do you kind of hang on to him for a bit longer? Well, uh, considering I still have this lone caramel male that's like five years old and has done nothing for me, I think I stick around and keep him for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you do but, is you um, call Owen and he sends you a caramel female. Will you just call me? <laughs> like it's. <laughs> I thought we were putting together one of those continuous like care package lists and just YouTube because you're right, so close you together. A, we're just, all right, fine. I'll put together a right. big box or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> all right. No, but yeah, I think, I think you keep him around and unless. Uh, like unless you think you're just done with that initiative or that project or that gene or that line or whatever it is, keep them around. Like you can never be too male heavy. Like there's yeah. always, you know, variety options, plans change, or, you know, maybe all of a sudden something does come back around into, you know, popularity. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh shoot, maybe I will make a little more of these. I, I would say that there's more of a oh, knee jerk reaction with selling stuff. And like, uh, for me personally, I, had a male that I had kept to replace its father. And then that male died and thank God I didn't sell its father because I still had him. So, you know, I was able to not totally be backtracked. So Eric, I think, uh, yeah, what I was going to say is that I think this is where I have, have discovered that I'm more of a keeper than I am a breeder (laughs) in the the mindset of a breeder is, is that you want to, you know, have the most, the most bang for your buck, you know, like I want to have, if I can check all these boxes with this one or two males, then I'm good. Whereas I get attached to the actual snake. So to me, it's not about, the gene, the line, the, you know, the subspeed, whatever it would be. It's just like, like, like for instance, Satch, you know, my citrus tiger, the original one that I have, like I have males that can replace him that are actually nicer than him. 
but man, that snake means so much to me, you know, because it's, it's, it's like one of the first big carpet Python, uh, you know, purchases that I made. Um, the fact that the thing is, is smoking and he's like, you know, like he's, he's bred multiple clutches over the years and he's what, like three foot, <laughs> like if, if that, you know, so he's like this, this tiny little snake with all this attitude. And it's like, man, this is just the coolest snake ever. And like, I don't know if anybody gives a shit about the citrus tiger line or whatever. I, and to me, it doesn't even matter. But like, the point is, is that there's somebody out there, like maybe it's Riley, maybe it's whoever, you know, who, you know, loves the citrus tiger one. Why not? That thing is amazing. You know, I mean, <laughs> that snake is, is crazy. But, and, like, that's the, and that's the thing where it's like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's like I have projects that I'm like I should get rid of, and then I end up holding on to them because it's like it's a citrus tiger head albino, and she's really pretty. I only have her and like the albino male. Maybe I should get rid of them, and then I don't because she's really pretty, and it's goddamn addictive. (laughs) But like you know, to be able for somebody to contact me to say, "Hey, man, you know, I'm I'm curious about the citrus tigers or whatever." And I can say, yeah, I still have the male and the female here. And these are the two. These are the these are the last two uh, that of the line. Yeah. To to keep this line going, you know. Jeez, um, I didn't realize they were we were down to that point. Well, I mean, I I have more that I've produced and held back, but okay. they're all grown up. And what I'm saying is, is that like I, I thought we had tons of these things. Oh my I god! Do. Yeah, okay. I, I do, but it's just oh, like you just scared me there for a minute. It's just like, these yeah. are the two that have bred, you know, right. and produced the animals that uh, I have sent sent out into the world. But um, <laughs> um, I wanted to read this real quick from Rob about we're talking about cycle feeding. We all sort of do it. I think it's. It's sort of the thing, but when we were out in West Texas, Rob had brought this up, and I think this is probably, it's sort of what I do, is a little bit off, but like, you know, I think he has the right idea here. So I'm going to read exactly what he wrote to us because I wanted to make sure that I got it right, right? So it's like, um, essentially for Boyd's, um, as discussed by Josh Parker on, on our podcast. So if you go back and listen to look up Josh Parker, um, one of the things he was talking about was digestion. Um, and, and how snakes digest, right? And basically, he said it's like a three-week process, right, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to cover uh, the up and down regulation of their organs to accomplish digestion. So Josh takes the approach of not feeding more often than every three weeks so that he can complete the cycle before feeding again. Now, Rob sort of does the opposite. He feeds them in burst so that the organs stay up uh, regulated for a couple of months, shut them down for a month to six weeks in midsummer, and then give them another couple bursts in late summer and fall. Yeah, um, and they don't feed them. He doesn't feed them at all through the winter. Um, you know, he does it with his stuff, particularly with his adults. Um, it's not exactly what he does with his colubrids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit different. But like for his pythons and boas that he's that he's working with, uh, probably more so with boas with him. But you know, I know he does have uh, some pythons in here, here or there. But so basically, that's what he's doing. So you know, there was a paper. I'd have to find it. I don't know if you guys ever saw it, but they talked about uh, snake digestion and how their system sort of like just basically 
shuts down, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but I've done it with a Malukan scrub of all things to do. <laughs> I had this Malukan scrub, did an E for a long time. And then finally she, she was ready to go. I fed her too big of a meal and she died. So yeah, yeah kind of a bummer, but anyway, that's something you have to worry about. Like you, you're not feeding these animals for quite a time. I think this is healthy for their system to go through that, that process. And you, you'll learn uh, more about it. If you go back and listen to uh, Josh Parker uh, on when he was on NPR, talk about that, Justin, that was a, that was a, really that was a good, good episode. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things where you got to kind of think about it. Like, would you ever bring a, f- a male or a female directly out of hibernation and feed them like a meal that would have been considered a little bit too big for them, even when yeah. they're tight as something? No, of course not. That's oh, I did. Oh, I mean, and what have you learned? <laughs> like, and that's the whole point of everything. <laughs> All right. of this, you fuck up. That's fine. Get it. It's going to happen. Learn. Don't do it again. If you're doing it three years in a row, you're clearly not learning. Right. Like it's well, it's a heavy heart because it's know. you know the animal dies. You know. I know. So it's it's, like, <laughs> but but every year you get better, and every year you get more consistent, and stuff like that. And then, like, if you're like me, you do stupid mistakes, but then you learn some important facts. Like, right, it will take eighty days for carpet python clutches to hatch when kept at room temperature. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Now we know. We would never know that. We would never know that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and taking chances. Dude, those for science. Do you know how hard it has been to get those two animals that I held back from that clutch to breeding size? It has been several years. They should have been ready last year. The Neither one of them is ready. Like, oh, man, you bonsied them. I did. I, 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 they're 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 bonsai carpets at this point. Right. I mean, nice. they need the female needs at least another two, maybe 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 a year. The male, I don't even know what the hell he's doing. He eats everything in sight, but he doesn't grow. So, right. like, I don't. Yeah. So for me, basically, for when it comes to the, f- the food cycle, and I think you guys are probably in the same camp, uh, basically the bottom line is I never feed my snakes from the time I begin cooling until yep. the female has either laid eggs yep. or I'm satisfied she's not grabbing. Uh, uh, if, if you have fed that female sufficiently through the summer and autumn, she'll be good. You know, you, you know, you won't have any problems. Even males, even though sometimes they can get on the skinny side, you know, um, I... I, as long as they've been fed adequately, you won't have any problems with, um, with them not eating. I mean, I'm taking them down to temperatures. I don't want to worry about, you mm-hmm. know, whatever's in their gut, you know, not digesting properly and possibly losing the animal. So right. it's just easier for me to err on the side of the cleaning out. It gives me a little bit of a break, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> um, you know, not having to clean all the time. Um, and you know, um, yeah, that's really what it comes down to for me. So I would say mine's a little bit different, um, because I will not feed like same thing you did. I won't feed during winter and cool down. Uh, when I do bring everybody up for spring or when, when I do bring everybody up, I do feed a, um, smaller meal, uh, when everybody comes up a lot of times though, that's like a way, like I only fall out like 10 10 rats at a time because it's like 
the males are like, you know, nope, like they're 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 not even gonna give you like an even look for those things. Um, but I do like to try to get my females to eat something small. Um, but it's a crapshoot, and like you know, it is it is you end up throwing out more rats than you feed. Um, but then uh, if the females who do eat, I kind of find that they almost take to the breeding a little bit faster and easier, and also it doesn't really take too much harm on them or they don't lose too much weight uh when they do lay the eggs um so i'll do that and then but like like you said sometimes the males just won't eat until after the breeding season's over because they only got they got that one track mind um what i will find is that there are some girls who will eat uh when they get warmed up and consistently eat and that's fine up until the point where uh i think like almost like a couple weeks like after they have their prelay shed then they're like no no food because they just feel that uncomfortable or that um like if their head's in that one space and they don't want to do anything else but i found it hilarious that like i'll pull the eggs from the female after she's like spent hours laying them and stuff like that and i'll clean her off and i'll clean her cage and i'll put her back in and i'll come back in later and i'm like you want a rat and they'll nail it like it's every time it's like they have never seen a female directly after laying eggs refuse food so but yeah that's i think the only change i got is i do the small meals in uh springtime gotcha riley do you 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 kind of follow the same suit yeah yeah you guys do pretty much exactly the same thing I do. And as far as time wise go, I try to follow that same time, but being in California, sometimes our, our winters start a little bit late. And I find that, uh, like the animals are still kind of warm and hungry when I'm trying to start cooling. But, uh, Sacramento does get a little bit colder than it did down South. So that's becoming less of a problem each year. And the animals are finally acclimated to the seasonal changes you know, indifference, but yeah, I mean, that, that schedule is perfect. I find they're the hungriest in the spring and fall summer, you know, sometimes it's so hot. The animals just don't want to eat that much and yeah. Cycling it that way. And then, and yeah, I cut off at, at when temperatures go down, no more food. And then I gradually bring snakes down and up. So during that period, as I'm slowly acclimating them, I'm watching them and kind of seeing, okay, are they going to want to eat right away? Do I need to give them a week after we get up to normal operating temps? And it's definitely going to be a smaller meal. So, yeah. Yeah, I will, uh, I will real quick put this in there. Like um, typically by the time I'm warming up, mm -hmm. I will know if my female is grabbing. Uh, okay. Um, however, there are those ones that Surprises. are like uh, a little later, a little later ovulating, a little later, whatever, where they're sort of like, you know, that they're sort of doing something. Right. Um, and I don't know how that you would describe that. It's just it's just in her body language of what she's doing and where she's at in the in the cage, you know, and, and it's different. Is she on the heat? Is she off the heat? Is, you know, like well, what is going on um, as far as. uh you know, to me, if she's off the heat, she's kind of like building, you know, and she's trying to get those, those follicles growing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then once she's ovulated, she's on the heat. You know, mm -hmm. that's sort of how I see it. Um, but I have had ones where they sort of held out and I offered them a small meal, which I think is probably maybe what you're saying, Owen. And I've had them, boom, they ovulated yep. like immediately, you know, and it was like, um, 
I don't know why that happens. I don't know if they think like, oh, okay, food's around, so uh, I can do this. <laughs> so we can get this done. I, I don't, I'm not sure, but um, I have experienced that. So. Yeah, I mean, and just a tip if maybe you're, uh, you think you're there and you're not really sure, but, you know. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, it's it's just one of those things where I think human error is one of the main reasons that we fail at breeding. Yeah. You pull the male out when, like, or you're you're trying mm-hmm. to breed a male to multiple females, and because if you're switching him around, he's not with each girl when he should be. So you're seeing all the locks, but then you don't get any babies. It's like okay, cool. Um, or or you just miss the ovulation, or you miss this, or you miss that. It's it kind of is where that's at, kind of stuff. And it's um, what I found is that it, it's easier to go by, like with Riley saying, with the whole weather. I mean, I remember my first couple of years breeding. October was when I started not feeding. So October 1st, no more food. Yes. And I would start messing with the temperatures in November and then December and then January. And then in February would be the warm up. And now it's like that doesn't really fly anymore because, I mean, we could have 70 degrees at Christmas time down here for not if, like that happened yeah. a couple times. Yes. So it's really made it uh, really made really changes as well. Yeah. yeah. And so it's one of those things where I'll feed throughout October because the weather's not there. And then I'll starve throughout November. And then you start cycling everybody down in December. And then you're hoping that everybody's down in January and February because those are the coldest months in Pennsylvania. Yes. And then you're warming everybody up in March. But then every once in a while, you get a snowstorm in March. So you can be in the middle of warming everybody up, and then here comes the snowstorm. You better run downstairs, start throwing animals in cages. Like <laughs> it's, it right. can do that. So you gotta be, you gotta be fluid, and it definitely helps if you go with what happens outside your room rather than fighting against it. Like you know, um, it's easier that way because the animals. Well, it's easier for us because oh, yeah. it gets cold. Whereas if you're in Florida or say like where Riley used to live, it may be a little more challenging to, right. uh, especially if you want to do, you know, something like a diamond python or or brettles python. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm thinking Casey doesn't he like uh, you know every evening take his bread lie out to the uh, to his porch or something <laughs> like to something, get him yeah. down pretty cold. Yeah. You know, like. Uh- it, it, you got to do that. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to cycle all my bread lie this year. I'm not going to breed them, but I'm going to kick them out of the room and shove them into the cold cages because it's like I need their yeah. cages. <laughs> it's like, get out of here. You're so, out. Yeah. You might accidentally get bread lie. <laughs> Damn it. And see, that's something else I worry about. I'm like, you have the year. I had that um, last year. I'm like, uh, my snow corn snake. I'm like, you did well. You produced a nice little clutch of 10. So I'm going to leave you be. And she double clutched on her own. And I'm like, stop it. Like you're dying. <laughs> like, right. If you lay more eggs, you will die. <laughs> like, I didn't breed you. Like yeah, it's so sometimes they just do it. So, so the next, uh, the next big part of breeding is really comes down to temperature. And I kind of put temperature and light cycling together. I know light cycling really isn't a thing for a lot of people. Um, I guess it's just because when I was coming up in the carpets, um, Luke Snell was big. And if you listen to the episode where I think it was the third episode of NPR where he was on and he was talking about his approach to breeding, um, he was saying how he thinks that's something that, you know, often gets 
thrown out the door like it doesn't matter mm. uh, per se, you know, because, you know, I guess the thought is a lot of these Indonesian species uh, really are coming from a twelve twelve. you know. I mean, it's like the, 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 it really doesn't change that type of, of thought process, uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, but with Australian pythons, um, eh, some of them probably fall into that loop a little bit. But um, especially if you're doing like the winter breeders and stuff, um, it, it kind of matters. I'm super lucky. Both of my snake rooms have huge windows. Yeah, I hate you for that. <laughs> huge windows. And I take advantage of that because I look at it this so. This is uh this is a mindset and as I'm doing these more naturalistic stuff and have like the jungle lights and the and the, the the UV lights and then the heating lights I've sort of timed it now to where you know the first light that they see is the sun you know mm-hmm. so when that sun is rising that's the first one and then you know uh the one jungle light will kick on the UVB light will kick on a little bit later. And then the hotspot will kick on last. That one will be the first one to go off and it'll sort of reverse back, you know? And then by that time, the sun is coming down. Um, and it just, I don't know. I don't know if it affects them or not, but I think for me, my snakes, that's part of their cycle. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I think sometimes we do it by accident. You know, and we don't even think that we're doing it or if it affects them or whatever. I was thinking about it and it happens to me every year around this time, especially up here in the Northeast. When when you go outside in the morning, the air feels different. It's not that it's colder. It's not that I don't, you know, I would imagine that the humidity maybe changes a bit. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, you know, what it is. I just know that it feels different. So the idea that, that doesn't somehow, in some way, the snakes can pick up on that. I think that they do. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how, <laughs> and I can't prove it. I just think that they do because they start acting differently as soon as the season changes. You know, so you can start to look at the, when you start to look at those different cues that happen, I think, uh, I think you'll start to maybe see the same, but I think like, you know, you hear all the time, like people say, well, I don't drop temps or whatever, but your room just naturally has a rhythm right. to it yeah. as it is. You may just be working with species that don't need a big of a drop, but I bet you if you put diamond pythons in that room, you're not going to get yeah. diamond pythons unless you drop them. Thing. You know, yeah, so. it's, it's just one anyway. of those things where, you know, they're going to realize your room. Like uh, I have my one snake room is the one that has all the windows in it. And that's where all the big animals are. And they definitely love the sunlight coming through the window. And that's going to be something to watch out for because the sun will come in at different times during the wintertime and see how that affects them. But um, my other guys who aren't even in a room with windows, they kind of get moving before the lights turn on. Because right now I have it that the lights turn on at um, uh, it's a 12 and 12 is what I have and what I've always had. So they don't really seem to notice it, but, you know, it seems to work. But I would love to have windows because then I wouldn't I would totally be. Um, I, I think that they would have to have some sort of interaction with extended periods of night and less hours of daylight. Like, I think they would have to. So. And what of the moon cycle? Who knows what that does? So, um, it's just, there's so many things. So I, that's at least what I would do. 
So, Riley, what about you? Dude, I muted myself. You um, did. I was going to say, what's hey, going on here? <laughs> um, no, no, no. I was going to say, uh, I, I agree with what Eric was saying as far as the, um, like, if, even if you're not intentionally manipulating your cycles and temps in your rooms, your room is doing that. If you right. have a window, your animals are picking up on the length of the day, shortening and increasing at different seasons. Uh, and they, and they notice those things. So, um, I think, uh, I think it's all plays a role, whether we are perceiving its importance or not. And you guys always have, have said, there's probably like five cues and if you check three of them, you're probably successful um, right. in breeding. And and I think there's probably even more variables than that. But, yeah, they definitely are tuned into more than we can register. But if we can give them an appropriate temperature cycle that they would naturally experience, you know, you can safely assume that that's helpful and beneficial. I also think it would be naive of us to assume that prey is readily available year round. Like mm -hmm. it's just bountifully there and they can always eat. And that's not true. So I think, um, you know, a lot of these places that have seasonal bust and boom with rainfall causes uh, ripple effects in, in prey availability. So if you're food cycling, temperature cycling, and, uh, and then these animals can experience you know, slight changes in, in the ambient climate. I think, I think it all plays a, a crucial role for sure. And as you guys were saying, every species is a little bit different. Like diamonds need that extreme cold. And, you know, we've already mentioned that there's the division of spring breeders and winter breeders. So there's definitely right. times of year that are important for these animals and their cycles line up with whatever is going on in the season that has, been key to the success in their biology and their evolution for years to come. Um, it's just because that's what worked. So that's the year that or that's the time of year that they go when they're going to go. Right. So here's a, I just want to throw this thought out and see what you guys think real quick. Like say in, um, so I'm thinking of like us in the Northeast though. And right. Yeah. And like when the, when the season may be a mild winter, let's say, right. Not a lot of snow, okay. all this kind of stuff. It seems that with carpet pythons mm -hmm. that we all sort of have not, not that we don't have success, but it's like, we definitely miss a lot of, a lot of clutches. Yeah. Or, the eggs are not as good. They're slugged, or, yeah. You know, more slugs than normal or, you know, um, all these kind of things. So my my thought is, is that if, if, if the weather outside is not doing what we want it to do or what it normally would do in our area, right, I'm sure that, like, what happens for us on the East Coast is probably different than what would happen on the West coast. And it's sort of, and again, this is all just like from watching and talking to different carpet Python breeders at the time of year. It seems like when the West coast has real good success, mm -hmm. like you see a lot of the guys on the West coast, just nailing clutch after clutch, after clutch, after clutch. And then like the, the East coast has a shitty year <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. You know what I mean, so it's, I, and again, again, I'm just sort of like, I'm not saying that this is, 
accurate by any stretch of the means, but it's just is my perception of how, how things are going. Um, but I wonder in the wild if the temperature, for whatever reason, stays more, uh, it, it doesn't drop as much. Do you think that those animals don't breed that year? Or do you think that they, they would breed? Yeah, I think they do. I think it definitely, I mean, we already see, like, if you're just talking about general warming of the earth, we yeah. won't even get into the political side of it, sure. but right. you know, climate change and the earth getting warm has already shown to have impact on um, the gender ratio of temperature specific reptiles and turtles and things like that. Right. So yeah. I, I think these animals do respond to that. And so if you're, if, if this globe is warming up um, it, and it's crucial for these animals to hit these cold points at this time of year and they're not getting it and they're not getting it at the right time of year, they're absolutely going to have hardships in reproducing. And, and it would take biological evolution and adaptation for them to make that adjust, which doesn't make that adjustment, which would take millions of years. And it's just not going to happen. And that you could, you could argue that that could be detrimental to the, the survival of some of those species. Right. So, you know, that would just make me think that that temperature really is kind of important. One of those important parameters in the Mm -hmm. now, maybe the swing doesn't have to be as much. But if you're not going to have a swing, uh, I'd be curious, maybe maybe some of our Australian listeners that maybe could know like boots on the ground, so to speak, like if maybe Scott could say like, you know, this was a warmer, you know, winter. So we don't see as many baby carpets as we normally would or yeah. out and about. I wonder if that affects it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just a thought. But, but uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of do a mix now of, the, of uh, lighting and um, uh, heat. And I, I used to drop to 70 yeah. But the past couple years, I've been doing 60. And I don't know if that's because... So going to Australia is sort of like when it's summertime and it's 70 degrees. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Hmm. That's when they move. That's when they do stuff. Yeah. Right. So, like, is it really a drop? If yeah. That, you know what I mean? If they're experiencing that, you know, normally... It's, it should it be colder than that? I don't know. So I know that like seventy was always the the number that we stopped at. Right. Again, that's a Jason Balinism that I remember. Like you know, standing at Tinley Park as we're all hung over, just standing there waiting to uh, open up. You know, he had he had told me that that's that's where he stops. At. Right. What about you guys? Uh, I go further. Um, and I've gone further the past couple years. Like I said, I normally will drop the bread lie go down below 60. Um, uh, yeah, bread lie and yeah. diamonds and probably uh, the olives. I'll get you their numbers right now 50. Let's see, bread lie get down to 55. Um, carpets, I stop at 65. 65, okay. yeah, and they'll spend like the week before. Because they usually spend a couple of days at a certain temperature, so they'll spend it uh, from they spend about a week at sixty eight. 
Then they spend a week at 65. Then they spend another week at 68. Then I think they spend two weeks at 70. So they go down. They don't necessarily stay down, but they kind of bounce. But the the fringe things is that. So the olives get to 55. Okay, 55. Wow. Yeah. What about you, Riley? Where's your cutoff? Uh, traditionally, I've tried to keep the room from never dropping below 70 because I haven't had anything up until this point that needs it that low. But I've also, you know, kind of struggled with coastals, as you guys know, over the few years. So I'm, I'm thinking that this will be a good year to, to bring it down a little bit further. Mm-hmm. I've got one of those ink bird thermostats set up on my room heater so I can really be extra precise and dial in exactly where that bottom end is. Thus far, all I've done is just sort of, you know, stayed up and checked on it periodically and feathered a heater to, you know, just go on periodically and just dial it in just how I feel it and, you know, mess with the 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 ventilation in the window, like very Stone Age primitive. But like what it did was it forced me to pay really close attention to my animals and how my room performs. Um, but, yeah, I think this year I'm I'm going to let the ambient dip down to probably about 65. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, normally with my room, um, I, I I shut off all the external heat in my room at the end of last year, and I never turned it back on. Because um, normally I would have, like, space heaters and everything else going, and I, I never really turned them on again because the cages, the heat coming off the cages has been right. fine. On the ambient? Yeah. yeah. And then also the snakes have their own heat panels that kind of mm-hmm. take care of them. So me running a bunch of... You know, space eaters was overkill. Um, so what I'll end up doing is letting the room kind of just do what it does down there. Mm-hmm. But again, the heat from the cages kind of keeps everything, uh, or the heat panels in the cages keep the cages from going below a certain temperature. Um, but the room itself should probably get down somewhere into the 60s. Um, so, like, I have it set that their night drop is 55. Um, whether or not they hit that 55 temp every single night that week is dependent upon the weather and also anything else that might be going on. They might only ever spend like one day at 55. Right. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, as I do these naturalistic type of get cage ideas and stuff, I think for me with carpets, well, really, just all, probably all pythons. But for me, all the Australian pythons kind of fall into this same type of deal. Is that I, you know, if I'm going to use, you know, um, either a, a heat lamp of some sort or if it's going to be a, um, um, what do you call it, heat panel, mm-hmm. right? Um, I would put like rocks. Yep. Some type of rock that's going to absorb that heat because I turn my heat off at night, right? I, yeah. I completely. I always do year round. Cause to me, like the sun goes down, the heat is off. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in nature, the heat's off, you know? And I think it's just, you know, as long as they're given that opportunity to heat up during the day, uh, they're fine, you know, and this is all through breeding season. So when we're talking about these temps and we're lowering these temps, these are nighttime temps, make yes. sure you understand that. This is a thing they got to warm up during the day. Yeah. Yeah. When I first came into it, I was very confused thinking like, 
Oh shit! You take the python to sixty degrees, and it's sixty degrees all the time. No, correct. That's culinary <laughs> breathing. Like yeah. you know, like no. They need, to, they need to warm up during the day, you know. But my thinking is, is that if you have sort of similar to like you know, when you're road cruising, what do the snakes do? They go to that road, that blacktop, and we've seen it in our trip to West Texas this past time, when it's cloudy. And, and the, the blacktop not, not hot. Yeah. Even though it is hot, the road is not heating up. And then when that temperature dips down at night, I mean, what what would you say? Owen was the lowest they got, 60? Dude, like, there was one point where, like, we saw our breath when we were yeah, walking. It like, cold, it was cold as shit. Like, I'm and like, I'm there and, like. Are we finding snakes in this? In well, this yeah, temperature? and that's the other thing. Like, do you remember we were at the rock cuts? And I was with you, and I put my hand on the rock. And I'm like, that mm-hmm. thing is freezing. Like, ain't nothing coming out of that. Like, it was, that's just the way it is. So, so then those snakes are staying in there. Yeah. They're buried deep. So, deep in the ground where that temperature is more stable. They're not coming out. No. Why would they? When the road is heated up Mm -hmm. from the day, even though at night it may get cold. The, the heat that's coming off that road because it's just sucked up, and especially those rock cuts that, you know, yeah. all those rock cuts we saw. I mean, that's just absorbing that heat all day it's long. It's the vertical road. Um, yeah. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. I mean, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was building the uh, a pen for a tortoise. Um, and Don't ask. Don't, don't ask. Yay, Mort. Shut up. Um, so I'm trying to think of, like, ways to heat it. So I was actually looking at, like, pavers to put down to where his lights are going to be so that those would heat up during the day. Right. And then I'm like, that's stupid. Cause I got to get like five of these pavers to make up an area when like concrete is like $4. So I'm just going to mix up a bunch of concrete and basically make a giant flat rock out of concrete for him to sit on after his lamps heated up during the day. So, I mean, it's something to do and it, and it does make a lot of sense. Like what you're saying is that that's something to, uh, that they will use and gravitate to to uh, stay warm during the cold. Right. That way, if they want the heat, it's there. It's there. Yeah. And I don't have heat on, so it's not like they're that you run the risk of, you know, overheating them too much, or they're gonna, you know, reabsorb their follicles. Whatever the case would be, it's it, like. You know, if they want to go over to that heat source, they just have to lay on that rock for a little bit, and then they can go back and do what they want to do. Yep. So, I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, Good thought. Yeah. See, those is, these are the things you learn when you go out herping and, uh, you know. Well, dude, like <laughs> I, I usually yep. would do it that I would have um, the night drop to, like, I would only ever do night drops during breeding season. And then after going to Australia, I came home and I never turned off their night drops. I just raised the temperature. Uh-huh. So now it will not get 70 degrees in my snake room every night. Right. It won't do that. But I have their computer system set to a night drop of 70. So it will turn off and only turn on if the cage gets below 70 degrees. Gotcha. But that doesn't happen. So during the summer months, it's, you know, the way it is. But I'm seeing more of a more activity. I'm seeing like they're not getting they're not sitting there getting fat all the time. They're whipping around. Um, Some of my bigger females have actually lost weight. So as opposed to being a consistent 80 something degrees in their cage, I give them a cool time. So it's not like they have a hot spot and a cold spot. They have. The cage warms up during the day and cools down at night. 
Gotcha. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other things you want to hit on about temperatures and whatnot. I think, I think we kind of covered the most, but I thought this was interesting. Um, and I read this on a, uh, on a forum, um, and it was from an Australian breeder. I don't know who, what the guy's name was because you know how forums have those weird names. Yep. Anyway, um, so this was a remark he made about temperature cycling, and he was emphasizing the importance of understanding the providence. Obviously, we don't have to worry about that as much of your animals when attempting to breed them, mm. meaning that, um, you know, that you can their requirements as far as temperatures and stuff could change depending on where they're from um when breeding black-headed pythons and carpets from significantly different latitudes right Mm. um that things could you'd have to look at it a little bit different so when breeding our when he was breeding darwin carpets and blackheads he found we needed to raise the temperatures higher than than the ones like you know your typical um temperatures uh that we've talked about um, and, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, he now breeds them in a separate room, which parallels, uh, those temperatures, um, plus about three to four degrees Celsius, uh, from, um, his, uh, seasonal maximum and minimums. So if you have animals that originate from far Northern latitudes of Australia, you probably need to do the same. So meaning, I guess that, <clears throat> you know, you can find a jungle carpet that's higher up in the mountain <laughs> and then jungle carpet that's lower down on the ground. And they may, um, you know. Well, even then, I mean, you could find a jungle carpet that's more have colder, and that's going to be closer to the equator. So that's going to be a hotter animal. Like, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. other thing was, you remember Gavin was talking about um, the fact that it was easier to breed, um, you know, to Antaresia from different localities than it was to breed, you know, ones that were on the same road. Ones that were on the same thing. You know? It was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, don't think I don't know. It just makes me think of things like Bull and I, right? You know, is it is it just a matter of? But they breed, so I don't know. You know, another weird thing that just popped into my head today about Bull and I. I was going to send this to Keith to see what he thought, but like, what if it's a matter of removing the male? Like the male has to completely, be completely like gone. That, yeah. You know how like so I'm thinking when they find these animals in in Papua New Guinea, yeah. right? They never find males. There's right. no males around. Right. So I don't know why that female would reabsorb those follicles if the male is there. I don't know why that 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 would be the case in the right. silly when you say it out loud. However, you know how the males will start cruising. So, like, one of the things that you can tell if you're on the right path to breeding carpet pythons. Oh, they'll be whipping around them cages. Like, all the, all the paper will be in a ball in the middle of the right. cage. Like, yeah. And this is also a good, a good way to tell if you really have a male. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? like, yes this is be the time to yeah, find out that. yeah yeah but then there's also cruising i mean the male will relentlessly cruise the cage like relentlessly because he smells those females he wants to mate he knows they're there he's ready to go um and that's sort of what like you know male pythons are doing well i going off of your theory like maybe the female will produce the follicles, but maybe for the male to produce viable sperm, he needs to not sense the female all the time. Well, the the I th- and I could be wrong with this. I'm totally Riley probably knows best because he's Riley knows nothing. 
But I mean, <laughs> I think the issue is is that that female will not ovulate. They breed. They breed. They breed. They breed. No, I thought they ovulated to a certain point, but there's just no. No, they, just, eggs. They, they don't they, finish the well, yeah, they don't ovulate. I mean, yeah, they don't, I mean, they don't the, I thought they ovulate, but they never got those like the, they, they get huge and then they just shrink back down. I thought they don't ovulate. Well, then they grow follicles, <laughs> they grow okay. Right? All I right, could be wrong, all right, all right. but I think once you ovulate, there's no turning back. All right, so the theory is now for Keith is that he leaves one animal in New Jersey when he moves to North Carolina, and then at breeding time, he comes up, gets his mail, drives it to North Carolina, and then he'll be able to breed the bull and I because it'll simulate his male traversing the mountains to get to the female. Now, if if that was for real, yeah. you know that that Boland, male bull and I would be crashing at one of our spots. <laughs> 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 Problem is, like, he, he would like, holy crap, it worked. He'd just call <laughs> one of us and be like, which one of you wants a cage? What? And just start building in our yard. Yeah. It's like, hey, dude, um, Keith's Don't here. me for a few weeks. Hey, dude, Keith's here. He's like uh, building shit in my backyard. Should I tell him to stop? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Right. So I don't um, know. These are the type of things that you think of. Uh, it could be just a total dumb idea or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. It just popped into my head. That, this like, is the fun stuff to think about because every yes. once in a while you might be freaking right. I, no, Riley, I, go ahead. See what I, Riley, yes, Riley, you yes. sparked something with me on that me? one. Because, oh, goodness. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. And, and again, I have no authority on Bull and I. So yeah. anybody who's sitting here taking notes like, oh, they got the answer. Put the pen down. I don't have anything. Um, I just have ideas and creativity flowing off of Eric's creative idea. But Ari's talked a lot about how they find females and nests. They're not easy to find. They're very, they're very hidden, very mm-hmm. secluded. Although females tend to mark the outside of their nest with urates, they do seem to be like hidden and reclusive, but also very territorial at the same time and they don't find males so i think those two behaviors might have some significance obviously females probably get tired of a male if he's all the you know he's around all the time trying to breed and breed and breed and if she's territorial maybe they have some behavior where they you know they don't want the male around excessively and the male has to watch out or he'll get his ass whooped by this female and so they have to be ready to like cruise in and take off. And maybe it is a, a like a, a precise window or maybe it does rely. The females feel more comfortable biologically ovulating if a male is only in there intermittently at the right time, of course. But like if he's in there all the time or, you know, I don't know, that's a, it's an interesting thought. And I could see that that territorial behavior that we've read about sort of playing into such a process potentially. Yeah. I would imagine that the climate that they're at is a very difficult climate for a Python, right? So maybe the availability of, um, you know, whether it be prey basking spots, uh, you know, that could be the only thing that I could think of is why that, why you wouldn't want the male there. So (laughs) maybe the male goes to a different spot or whatever. And then, you know, I'm also thinking about, you know, this poor tarantula's traversing the road, <laughs> marching off to their death. Boys are, boys are like, if I'm successful, she'll eat me. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, oh, nobody, man. don't do it. And like, it's just, it, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a, yeah. Like to see. You know, what a, all what these, a, 
All these male tarantulas just, just walking across, across the, the street, just like oh, yeah. I'm going to get me uh, some. If I find her, you know, then hopefully. Yeah. What if what if Bull and I turn out to be uh, snake eaters in the wild and we just oh god. <laughs> well, no, think about it this way: if you're a thinner, smaller male, you can't compete with a bunch of girls in one area for a basking spot. You peace out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. So hopefully Keith will take that idea and make it real, you know, like, like sort of like, you know, I think Eric could have a bull in his his basement. Keith, that's what I'm just saying. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Um, All right. So really now we're into the, you know, you drop the temperatures, you're cruising through, you're in the, you're, you know, we do a slow, slow, gradual drop of temperatures. Right. It's not like you turn the heat off and it's 60 degrees. <laughs> Winter. It's like, you know, <laughs> on November 1st, it, yeah, you know, just unplug everything. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just a gradual thing. Um, and then you gradually build it back up just like is it, is it would happen in nature. You know, yeah. you're just sort of like simplifying that window, if you will, short. I, I would say that, um, this, if you're gonna if you're gonna be serious about breeding, it now's the time. It now that's when you start investing in good caging and excellent computer systems. I would say herb stats are the ones I solely use because you can program ramping um, where it'll like it'll take a couple hours to get to a certain temperature and it'll take a couple hours to drop to a certain temperature. Yeah. Uh, you can also program in the start and end time of the night cycle. You can do all of that, and you don't have to try to fiddle around i mean i can only imagine what it was like (laughs) breeding snakes in the past if you go downstairs tweak the temps temp gun everything leave go downstairs like the next day tweak the temperature or the next morning to heat everything up i mean it would yeah much easier so invest in a good thermostat yeah 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 and um yeah, I, I, it's it's so wild how difficult it must have been. You, that's a good point that you bring yeah. up back in the day. Where, yeah. You know, a lot of the people that we don't give enough credit um, for, you know, figuring this stuff out. Um, but, uh, yeah, they did. Um, <clears throat> so, to me, um, you know, a question that I get a lot, um, I don't know if you guys get it, but do I put the male with the female, the female with the male? I sort of always do the male to the female. The yep. male's the one that's cruising. They're the ones that have this huge home range. Even females usually kind of stay in a sort of spot. Um, so I move the male into the female's cage and and, and uh, see what goes. I think well, the only time that you could maybe look at it different if it's like, you know, I don't know, pop one pythons could be weird. You know, you got to be careful with that, especially if they're not the same size because yeah. they could eat each other. I'm sure ring pythons may be goofy with that. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. but, um, I, I would say always male to the female cage because then she'll feel comfortable. It's her home range. Um, plus, it kind of automatically, it also helps automatically tell you when it's time for him to get the hell out of there. Because <laughs> if this is his cage, he's got his favorite spots and he's going to sit in those. If it's her cage, all of a sudden you'll see him curled up in a corner totally away from her because he's trying to get out. And that's when you're like, okay, time to leave. So it helps that too. Right. Same with you, Riley. You're just male yeah. and female. Yeah, always thing. male into the females. Uh, I just find that if you're going to throw an animal off to your own detriment in the breeding, it's going to come if you move a female. Yeah. And um, I think that uh, that's another let me let's just throw it out there. Here's a thought. Um, The whole idea that you're going to buy a female 
in June. Oh, and shut up. her <laughs> that year. It may happen every once in a while. Again, if the if the everything aligns correctly or whatever, it's just. But like to be able to do that consistently, it's just it's just not going to happen. Well, and that's the I'd other say thing. nine times out of ten, it does not. Yeah, I mean, also like uh, people are like, "Oh, would you consider doing a breeding loan with me?" I'm like, "It's October, dude. No, like that's not how this works. Like, I, it, if I'm bringing a male in, he better be here by August at the latest." Yeah. To even consider, like I just brought that mail in, um, uh, yesterday. It, he's not going for twenty twenty one. He's just here. If in springtime he's showing some signs that he might breed, yeah, I might give him a shot. But I don't have any solid plans for him for twenty twenty one. Well, the thing with males is it's it's it doesn't really hurt them right. if they don't breed. Right, right. It's you know easier. I mean? Whereas yeah. female, you could go all the way to the end, and then you can yeah. have complications that she can. You think everything is great until you get to the end. I mean, she can, <laughs> she can get bound up on a slug clutch. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, doesn't have, they don't have to be fertile eggs to kill her? Which I is know another thing, wonderful. and it's weird with carpets, um, mm. but the male isn't doing anything, you know. Um, well, he ain't doing shit. (laughs) First thing I would say, sex it. (laughs) We should have said at the very beginning of this, make sure you start with a pair. And and do you know who your best sexing tool is? Your proven male carpet python, because he will let you know who everyone is immediately. Yeah, Um, that's true. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, I've done combat in the early days. I've accidentally um, done combat several times. I've done that, <laughs> as, well. I've done that as well. Successfully, um, too, you know, this past year. Some people, they, they're they not for it. And you can, uh, the, they could hurt each other. That That is a very real possibility. It's, I mean. For the most part, they're sort of like, you know, that whole like, you know, they're they're kind of wrapped around each other and trying to throw the one down. You know, that's the problem is that, that every combat we see is in a very large field in the middle of nature where they're all just twisted around each other and you can't hear anything. And it's like at a distance, you're like, oh, snake combat. You have not seen combat in an enclosed box like <laughs> yeah. that. That is. Yeah, when that you're changing the parameters, it can yeah, get Yeah, that's a something. Like, you know, then then they're throwing each other against walls, they're banging each other off the ground. Like it 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 can be violent and it can be fast. And the last thing you want is for anybody to hurt themselves. So, you know, I would say I've queued up combat a couple times where I put them near each other or put the male put another male in the cage, and then when everybody starts whipping around and getting all feisty, I'll pull the one male out. But I've only ever done accidental combat because I don't think you need it. Um, Sheds um, work. Yes, yes. That is like that is my favorite tool. If one of your male sheds, you can take that shed, rip it up into pieces, like a small, like one or two inch pieces, pieces, Mm -hmm. and then you can throw them into every other male's cage, and it'll rile every all of them up. Piss everybody off. Talk about your cocktail where you oh, take no, it's so much. No, it's so much easier. Dude. <laughs> it's so much better oh, so to just gross. listen. When I was younger, I used to shove the shed into a water bottle and spray it in the cage. And it was no, just take the damn shed and throw it in a cage. Like you don't have to put it in water. No, just rip it up, 
and throw right. it in cages. Like I said, like I had a male exanic shed and I ripped up his shed and I threw it in like five cages and I got every male pissed off. And that's all you need. And I actually had pictures of each male investigating the shed like a minute after it was in there. So they're queued in. So, right. yeah, easy. Yeah, so that that would be my advice if the male's not doing anything because I, you know, it, it happens. People miss yep. sex, and um, I've had that happen quite a few times to where I thought males were, and they became females, and females were males, and that kind of like <clears throat> screws your plans up. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, recommend that when you have animals come in when they're you know babies, <laughs> sex them so yep. make sure that things are good. Um, you know, uh, I thought that, um, maybe the next thing you would, we would talk about real quick is just maybe some observations of, of behaviors that you've seen that, you know, will tell you that you're on the right track. So like for me, I have a couple males constantly moving. Yep. Um, you know, when you put the, the pairs together, you get like real intense tongue flicking. Um, you know, I see like, you know, they may not be locked, but their tails are sort of uh, lined up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, laying close together is another is another good sign that I've seen, um, you know, uh, tail wrapping, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of times you'll see um, the male using his spurs to sort of like that, rub against the female's back. I don't know about you guys, but I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, you're just sitting there and you're like, you're like, oh man, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're doing anything. And then you see him like, like, and they're just like, they could just be sitting close to each other, staring at you. And I'm uh-huh. like, God, I hope they're doing something. And you see him, his tail, like just going up and down her and like, oh, okay, you're spurring her. All right, yeah. that works. Sorry. And then you walk away. Which, like, I love you it. Know, I think, I think, and this goes back to, you know, I mean, let's, let's face it. Most of us, the reason why we keep these snakes in boxes is because we want that little piece of nature and like to be able to observe those things happening and yeah. very close being able to see it and, you know, really get to see what, what's going on to me. That's, that's just what it's all about. So like, yeah. I, you know, when I go down into that snake room at night and, and it's freezing cold in there and you walk in and you look inside the cage and you see, you know, you got your little red headlamp on and you're looking inside <laughs> and you see those little spurs going on the side. You're like, get her girl, get a boy, get her. Eric actually brings a film crew with him and just like, you know. <laughs> I think I have like early videos of today. Uh, we are going to observe yes. the uh, um, basement in a Warminster <laughs> yeah. uh, house. I'm like, yeah, just like, oh. and, you know, another thing that people sometimes, and this sort of screwed me up a couple times was a lock. Like sometimes you'll yeah. see sort of like, to me, there's like no mistaking a lock as opposed to like sort of what we were talking about going into it. But sometimes it's hard to tell. You yeah. can't really see, you don't see like actual, you know, hemi peens out and then that kind of thing. <laughs> it, was, it was the one time I was cleaning my bread line and interrupted them and like they were locked and he pulled out of her and I'm like, ah, <laughs> like, it was like, oh God, I'm an asshole. <laughs> like just yeah. I just torpedoed that entire pairing. Right. They ended up breeding. It's fine. But, um, you know, I would also say that early locks are not necessarily um, victory. Don't count them immediately because I've gotten a bunch of locks early on 
and then the female never produces eggs. Yeah, I've had that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's a sucky breeder. It's a piece of shit animal. <laughs> Do your job. I feed you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any behaviors that you uh, sort of like. I mean, maybe you want to try out there. Basking belly up is my favorite thing in the world because then I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, it just like is. You've never. That's. Never. We've talked about that because you have these bins and stuff. Like, I. And I have cages with um, the heat on the ceiling. Yeah, so, my heat comes from below. So maybe yeah, so I don't know if that's part of it, but like, dude, they'll be in their bins, and I'll pull the bin out, and I'll open the bin, and I'll just see them either belly up or they'll start turning their bellies back down. So like, it, it happens all the time, and I love it. Um, <laughs> the first time you see it, though, you think your snake is dead. Yo, no, no, dude. <laughs> I mean, no. uh, dude, the first off, True first story. off. Womas are assholes because they all sleep on their sides. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, yeah. Fuck you. like, it's not even breeding season. My female's inverted. And I'm like, oh, God. And then my female's a bitch. So I go to pick her up and she bites me. And I'm like, I hate these things. So, yeah. Um, but uh, I would say that uh, males off food is another good observation. You're on the right track. Yep. If he's only got one thing on his head. if it Also, if it's one of your boys they like, he absolutely loves food. He will eat anything and everything. And then it's right after cool down. And he's like, Nope, I'm good. That means you're on the right track. Um, at least you know, your mail's good. Yeah. At least, you know, he's ready to roll. Um, right. I, I would, uh, yeah. I mean, basking belly ups. Awesome. If she is, if you have like uh, what I do with their nest boxes are their, the nest boxes are their hide boxes. So before uh, cool down, what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll throw a bunch of extra mulch in the hide boxes for the females. Um, so when we get closer kind of into breeding season, they'll have kind of mashed it all flat and stuff during the winter, during cool down. But when we get closer to her laying the eggs, she'll start making a divot in that uh, mulch and um, she'll kind of get it down in there and kind of get it where she wants also, like, you know, I know you have observed she'll maybe even start moving the box around. So yep. that would be something else. To, you know, if, if she's had her pre-lay shed and she starts doing shit to her cage, leave it alone. <laughs> like, it's like that's that's where she wants this. That's how she wants this to happen. So um, if you start messing with stuff is when you run the risk of her putting the eggs in a dangerous situation or something like that. Like my female Olive kept digging a divot underneath her lay box and i did not want her to put those eggs there so i literally um, pulled her out flattened all the mulch and then i scooped it up and put it in her nest box and put new mulch in her cage so when she went back in she went and she made that divot again in the nest box as opposed right. to like where she kept putting it so gotcha. um so what do yeah. you uh, what do you guys th- like once your female sort of grab it? What what are you seeing her do? I mean, my girls go for the heat. As soon as I see them on the heat, constantly on the heat, you know, to me that says it depends because they'll heat up, but then they'll also like you know, I mean, what would you say? Ovulation is when they grip up the water bowl. No, I would say when they're building. Yeah. yeah. So that's something else to watch for. If your female's like having a love affair with the water bowl, you're also on a good. 
Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. You'll yeah. see such a contrast that, again, if you're paying yeah, attention, be the cool female for building and then he why for, she's breeding, yeah. and why she's building, she'll be probably trying to get on the cool end. I've seen it in carpet sometime, but I know it's really, really prominent in ball pythons is where they'll wrap the water bowl. And, uh, you know, the thinking is, is that Max, I saw it. Yeah. yeah. The thinking is, is that she's trying to keep, you know, herself cooler. So she's wrapping that water bowl and it's cooler than, say, the rest of her cage. But then all of a sudden there's a shift. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, you know, sometimes she'll catch ovulation. Sometimes you won't. But there's definitely you'll see scale separation yep. if females grab it. That's that's something that you'll, you know, when you see that, that's sort of like, and there's, there's, it's hard to miss because I, I call it, what do we, what do we call it? Ladder tail or something? Square belly. Um, square belly. Yeah. It's, it's where her belly scales will literally pop out and be almost rectangular. Because they're so far out, and um, yeah, it's like her her sides have have ex- like expanded so expanded much, expanded no much, no room her, in her. Yeah, her belly scales don't look right. Yeah, and they they just look I, weird. Are you guys <laughs> are, you, are you guys good at like I'm some reason last year I was really good at finding the female and I would check on her and I would see her and I'd be like mm, tonight and then I'd put her back in and then the next day i would check her and she'd either be in the process of or having just laid eggs oh yeah 100 percent. i yeah. call it pretzel wrap yeah i'm like you're you're all twisted up you do not look comfortable you're you just something about you's off so it's so many pictures of that they yeah. get all knotted up yeah i don't know they just, have you yeah. seen that riley have yeah and they it? fold in like an, an unnatural looking way like if somebody just took a tube and toothpaste it was full and just like flex <laughs> yeah. it in half it's like, yeah, oh, that good. shouldn't I look mean, like that. As as three yeah. guys, can we kind of agree that laying eggs must not be comfortable? I would imagine it's Thank not. you. All right, yeah. Just <laughs> <Pats>. <laughs> Hard pass, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, and it's just, you know, and you've kind of, I mean, have you guys ever, like, actually seen, the like, been there while the female is in the act of laying the eggs? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, it's something like some people miss it. Like, they always come in afterwards. I find that most of my females lay overnight. Yeah. So I'm coming, like, I'll go into the snake room before I go to bed, and I'll see that wacky position that she's in. And then I come in the next morning, and there's eggs. Yeah. It's either overnight or first thing in the morning for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's. Is there is there they a pairing? Some do, some don't. I mean, what is it? Every female is going to be different and going to act differently, and then she's going to keep repeating that. So, yeah, I just don't know if like I'll have to pay. I mean, all my snakes lay overnight, but I don't know if that's a yeah. But like, like you're they also do it in the wild. You, and like, you also leave for work at three in the morning. Like, it's <laughs> like it's, this is true. It's this true. is true. See, that's what I'm saying. It, it's just like, it could just be my world. You yeah, know, Eric's world. Snakes lay overnight. They yeah. overnight because I don't see them until the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, you know, basically, one thing to look for is a prelay shed, right? Yes, prelay shed. You're looking twenty to thirty days, but after. don't. Don't like there have been recordings of carpets laying eggs without a prelay. So it's all of these are great signs. None of them are set in stone. Don't pull your mail too soon. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I had happened to me once is that when the female was building, mm. right? And Nick explained this on an old episode much better than what I'm going to explain it right now. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she was she was building, and right. I think because she was building and she sort of swelled, it pushed her into a shed. Well, I right. just assumed that that was a prelay shed, right? But really, that was a pre-ovulation shed. <laughs> And then she had a prelay shed later on and then laid eggs because it really confused me, you know? Yeah, um, I get that. <laughs> so, so I guess if they, you know, maybe I'd have to look at how many eggs she laid, but there was kind of a big clutch, you know? So maybe, maybe that's why I don't Burke I don't big clutch or McIntyre big clutch. <laughs> Well, I don't even come close That's to right. McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> I think three Burke clutches equals uh, one. I think at clutch. one point that was true. <laughs> like <it> was, yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, scientific equation of, uh, you know. Yeah, thank God I got NPR my head reading. on right. Yeah. It, um, so, yeah, know. I mean, basically you got 20 to 30 days after the two, uh, you know, from ovulation to the prelay, and then yep. 20 to 30 days, depending, you know, give or take. Um, to the shed. Now I find that my females, whatever day that is, will mm. always be on the same day. Yes. I don't know if you've got noticed that. Like if it's yep. twenty five days, she'll always every you know, every year following I've had like right. my one girl, she will like this this past year was the latest I ever got a clutch at her. It's because I wasn't actively trying to breed her. Um I was on the fence about it. So I didn't pair her with a male immediately. Cause normally she'll, she's laying eggs by March this year. She ended up laying eggs in April. So I'm like, Oh, a little late. So it's <laughs> just the way it is. So yeah. if they get into the rhythm, that's going to be the rhythm and that's it forever. What I'm, I, I, I I'm thinking about pairings for this year and I'm all nervous. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm terrified of the rough skills right now. <laughs> I don't, oh, God. You can do it. I got faith in you. Uh, I don't. It's like, thank God. Females got good weight? Oh, dude, she put on a ton of weight this year. Oh, you're good. A ton of weight. She's over over 1,000 grams. I weighed her. This, oh, is, wow. this should tell you how nervous I oh, am wow. about this. I weighed her <laughs> right. in grams. Oh, shit. I didn't even know you owned a scale. God damn it. I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, She looks great. Male looks good. I mean, he looked always, he always looked good, but yeah, we should be fine. We should be good. Okay. Next question. Oh, God. Next question would be nest box. Do you guys do nest box? Yes. 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 Um, They don't don't always use them, but I like to provide them. What I do is they have the box in there year round. It's their hide. Yeah. Um, the only time they shift the box is after they lay the eggs in the box. I end up pulling it, and I'll have a clean, sterile one that doesn't smell like their babies. Um, and that's when they get a new one. But then they have all year to make that one smell like them and crap all up the side and do whatever else they do and stuff like that. So they tend to put the eggs in there. Um, Actually, since I started doing this stuff, I've never had a female not lay in the box. Mm, Um, With this also, uh, it's kind of one of those things where I put the hole for them to get in the box. Like, I know there's, here's a freaking bin, you know, and it might have locking lids on the top. And I know some people put the lid, put the hole on the top, uh, on the lid. 
I actually put it in the side so that I can literally move the cage around, move the bin around the whole box without opening it up and exposing the animal so that they can feel secure in the box. So it's not like it's, they don't feel like it's unsafe place to put the eggs. That makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. I think that was on the show at one point where somebody told us those like plastic hides you get from like reptile basics. They didn't like them because you exposed the animal and the eggs every time. And the female might be reluctant to put the eggs under there. So, yeah. Um, You know, okay. So now you got eggs now becomes the thing. Are you going to take them from mom? Are you going to maternal incubate? Um, You know, taking them from mom, basically, I, I mean, you know, with carpets, it's not too bad. You, can, I, I do it myself all the time. It's usually easier if you have somebody else. But, um, uh, I, I don't know. I just kind of. They're I, normally know, so tired if you get there that early. You try. I, mean, I try to get them when they lay because yeah, yeah uh, mom is even within a couple hours. Like I've had them where they're laying when I go to work and I get the eggs when I come home. But, you know, it's, yeah. Normally they give them up pretty easy and it's like, she's tired and she just doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, so yeah, but I've always been a, a strong proponent for maternal incubation. So, <laughs> well, we will get into that in a second. I know. <laughs> so it's, the thing about though, is like their instinct is, is big to uh, really this clutch of eggs and as long as they smell those eggs they're gonna they'll, they'll try to incubate the substrate the water bowl uh, i mean i i put the i had a clutch hatch and i put the eggs on top of their mother's cage and she coiled up all the paper this was yeah. like two, <laughs> mo- two months after those eggs had been out of her so i'm like okay gotcha so yeah, they they will they will try to incubate anything. The water bowl, the paper, the box, anything that smells like those eggs. So you gotta clean her off. Yep. You know, you use soapy water. Just dawn soap and water. Yep. Yeah. Her, clean the whole cage down, put her back, yep. relax, give her a little give her something to eat. Yeah. Give her a small meal and, and you're good to go. Leave her oh. alone. Yeah. <laughs> After that, leave her alone. And again, I'll put the link in the show notes and I'll put it uh, on the NPR page, but check out Riley's uh, video on uh, breaking down maternal incubation. But I don't know if you have any words of wisdom for somebody that wants to do it. Uh, Don't listen to anybody who's told you it's a scary thing because if you take away the the words from other people, um, just the, the nuts and bolts of it, it's actually a lot easier. You literally do... Nothing. nothing. <laughs> you do nothing. How yeah. does that equate to more work? Well, it's because it doesn't. Um, but what it, it actually does require a little bit of a, a different attention, though, because, you know, in theory, with an incubator, you've got it dialed in. It's set to where you want. You know it works. You know it's reliable. You put your eggs in. And if you've got your system of your egg box where they can breathe, you don't have to burp the box for air or anything like that, it's, it's set and forget. Um, I think the the lack of control with MI is the scary part, but you got to understand these animals have existed, you know, roughly in the same form. We have them in these boxes here uh, for millions of years and they kind of know what they're doing. And if you have a good mom with good weight, she'll, she'll do it all for you. And, you know, you have to put in work ahead of time to make sure the enclosure's dialed in and she's well fed and she's got fresh water and, 
you kind of need to like have done your homework a little bit ahead of time, but it's really easy. Um, you just got to not overthink it and try to intervene as little as possible. The more you disturb the female, the more you, you know, risk throwing off the whole process. And if you have some sort of a temperature probe in that cluster of eggs, you can sort of tell when babies start pipping because you'll see a temperature change. Um, so you can, there's little things you can do to like monitor her progress without like being a helicopter mom sort of thing. And I just, I think it's one of those experiences that once you do it, you'll be so glad you did it. You'll be so stoked on sitting there and just reminiscing the entire process and observing her and learning her. And then, you know, having it all come to fruition and getting the eggs and getting those babies and then cleaning her up and getting her back on the food. And at the end of the day, you know, that female so much better, like you have a much deeper intimate connection with her and what she's been through and what she needs and how well she did. And you just kind of get a better understanding for the species. And I think as a, as a keeper, not even just breeding, having a better understanding of your animal's biology makes you a better keeper. So I, I just, to me, it seems like another, another experience that everybody should try and, and participate in if they can, because it's just so fascinating. Yeah, I agree. As a fellow MI uh, <laughs> enthusiast, um, it's super easy. Um, and yeah, I, you know, all of what you said and, and, you get to see, to me, there was nothing cooler than, again, I think why we keep these snakes is because we want that little piece of nature or somehow we, you know, it reminds us of, of, of being in nature or it gives us that escape, whatever you want to say. But, like, you're looking at, you know, this, you know, for us, it's sort of like at this point, it sort of becomes boring that, you know, the female is able to raise the temperature within her coils of, of without anything other than twitching muscles and stuff. I mean, it's yeah. just amazing when you think about it, you know, and like the fact that, you know, she's trying to raise the humidity and she'll put her head down into the, I mean, I, I, I stared at this girl for hours, <laughs> like just watching any kind of movement that she did or anything. And like, she would put her head down into the coils and my guess would be is she's trying to raise the humidity from her breathing inside the coils, whatever. Like she like covered over her head, put it put it down in there. I've seen her like where she actually physically like, if, especially if they have a really good, you know, uh, wrap around the eggs, to where the the eggs aren't even touching the bottom of the tub that that she's in, like in the egg box or whatever. And and she'll physically move them. Like she'll just sort of move, and you're like the hell is going on hmm. i mean it kind of reminds me of i don't know if you guys have seen uh my teacher the octopus my te- or um it's on netflix have you seen this show i think i've heard of it the, Octo- you gotta yeah, the octopus it, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta watch it man yeah. you'll be I, I anybody that's out there that's listening you have to watch this but this guy basically went and he he would uh swim these uh, it was like the uh, kelp forest off of uh, the the tip of South Africa, and basically he would go down there and he ran into this octopus, and then he went every day. And like, did you know that they walk across the bottom yeah. of the ocean? I didn't know that. Yeah, like, was, uh, again, were, like just these things, you're like, wow. <laughs> there was some aquarium that were they're like, why are these crabs keep going missing? 
and they set up cameras and they found out that it was an octopus that was in a Escaping. tank. Well, yeah, what it did I, is it would it would swim up to the top of its tank. It would climb out, walk along the catwalk, drive into it to the crab tank, kill and eat a crab, and then swim back up, walk across the catwalk, and then get back into his tank. And it was like. By the time by the time everybody came in in the morning, the water was all dry, and they're like, "The crabs just keep going missing." So yeah. I anyway, mean, it just yeah, it just sort of reminded me of like how much once it becomes like sort of uh, second guess. I mean, it's sort of normal business right. per se for us. It's sort of like it sort of loses its magic, if you will, or whatever, and we sort of don't appreciate it the way we did it's sort of like uh it's a i was watching these um the videos to where they do um uh reaction videos to music and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i was watching this like to me again stevie ray vaughn to me is like who doesn't know who stevie ray vaughn is and these people are watching him like what the hell they're like amazed and i was like man if i could only hear with his ears right now the Mm -hmm. first time you heard that you know what i mean it's it sort of has magic that's that's hard to replicate once you've seen it a million times. And for us, sometimes I think we, we become uh, sort of like lost in, nah, that's sort of normal. Like, you know, and, and, and we don't appreciate the magic of what's in front of us. And I think maternal incubation for me sort of like, sort of gives me that window into that magic world of, of nature, if you will. It was a long-winded way to say that, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, definitely go check out Riley's video on that. He goes more in depth and and all that. Uh, The only other thing I would kind of throw out there is that um, if you are breeding and you think your female is, like, maybe impacted with eggs, Mm -hmm. um, do not try to manually get them out there. If you think that there's one kind of nearby, close to the vent that you can kind of palpate out, okay. But if she's got some further down in there, all you're going to end up doing is either rupturing something or killing her. So it is in your best interests to go to a vet. If you do not have a reptile vet at the ready and you're going to breed, you're an idiot. Get (laughs) Before you even consider breeding, find a veterinarian. Hey, Rav. Well, I don't want to keep seeing this. My snake... Has something horribly wrong with it, Facebook? Fix it. All right. Have you tried bumping the heat? Because that fixes every snake. No. Go How to a you medical professional. Go to hell. <laughs> like, you know, it's. What do you know? Well, Jesus I've been Christ. snakes for the past 40 years. I don't know. You know I don't, I don't know shit. You're right. It's. But, like, the equivalent, my dog got hit by a car. Help me, Facebook. How do I fix it? Go to a vet. <laughs> Don't I have criticize my dog keeping. My what? <laughs> like, yeah, it's Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, the then basically we get to egg incubation and and you know basically at this point you have a couple different methods that you can use. Water. Yeah, there's the water. There's the uh, you know substrate. Perlite, yeah. uh, you know substrate of your choice. Some people sort of do a mix of both. Um, another one that I'll throw out there. This is from Dennis and Keith. Is that with Woma eggs in particular, because uh, Aspidites seem to be a little more sensitive to getting wet. Um, but instead of putting any substrate in the bottom at all, what they do is they take a deli cup or some kind of cup and they put the water in the box. Right. But the the water never comes anywhere near the eggs. So I thought hmm. that was interesting. I like that Other one. Other than that. 
you know, just watch the eggs. Yeah. The only thing I would ask you guys, what's your thoughts if you get moldy eggs? What do you do? Let it ride, baby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you separate them. Well, years ago, I used to, like, I mean, I even probably still do if it's real bad, but um, you do the foot powder stuff. Yep. Uh, I used to take a diluted Lysol to them, mm. but that was when I was anal retentive about that kind of stuff. But now I'm just like, you're not going to die. <laughs> it's like, you're <laughs> fine. Yeah. And like, it just let it go. Um, but yeah, the, the generic foot powder, you just sprinkle it on there. Um, you're pretty good with that stuff. Um, do you make a paste out of it, or you just sprinkle it? No, nah, what I normally what I would do is I would take the eggs and I would pull their because um, they're all in that uh, light diffuser, that plastic thing. Uh-huh. I would pick it up and I would put it into another bin because all I have all the same bins for my uh, eggs, um, but I wouldn't. There wouldn't be any kind of substrate on the bottom, and I would just sprinkle the foot powder. And then kind of like make sure I rubbed it into all the little cracks that were moldy and stuff like that. And then take the entire uh, light diffuser, pick it back up and put it back in the box. This way you're not like adding powder to the bottom of your thing where you might have like water or uh, wet substrate or something like that. And then you just kind of powder the egg, you dust the eggs and then you put them back in. So gotcha. yeah. and it's. Again, you don't it's worry about them suffocating or anything. No, it, but it, it's like, and that's kind of why you just dust it, and then you kind of like it's, it's not. You're not going to like put a mound of dust all around the eggs. I mean, they uh, should be fine, but it, it, I kind of started shying away from it because it's a lot of movement of eggs, and if they're all stuck together, awesome. But if you got like that one that's rolling around in the edge, or it, it, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. So it's almost like the less interaction you could have with the eggs the better <laughs> like you know yeah. yeah set them and forget them and then come back in two months yep so use a glass uh, incubator glass door incubator if you that, can that yeah because then you know they'll look door. in yep and use clear tubs that way even you though just look, look i don't up. know about you guys i will always open my door um, to the point where melissa will make fun of me she's like how many times have you checked <laughs> how many times have you checked the eggs today I, Quiet, a, a couple, <laughs> like you know, right. I'm limited now. I can check them in the morning and at evening. <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. Right. No more. So, but so. yeah, that's really it. And then uh, hatching once that happens and whatnot, you know. Uh, so yeah, you're good to go. But we'll hit uh, babies and all that stuff in a different. Episode. Well, I'll do th- I'll do this right now. Good. It is okay for your eggs to go beyond day sixty without pipping. Please, for the love of God, do not start slicing open eggs at day 55 because you're nervous. Just let it go. It'll be fine. The best piece of advice I ever heard from anybody in reference to when eggs are supposed to hatch is if you've got the incubator running, the temperatures are okay, the eggs are okay, guess when they're going to hatch? When they're ready. When they're supposed to. So don't interfere just let it go just be prepared just be ready yeah i've had carpet clutches where the babies will pip and some babies will be out of the eggs before other babies are even pipping Mm -hmm. and at that point it's day 64 65 but you're not paying any attention because some of the other babies have already pipped so i've even had babies run out of their eggs because i manually pipped Mm. therefore ripping their umbilicals and then they become difficult feeders Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to make more work for yourself, 
yeah, go ahead and dig them out of their eggs. If yeah. you want to just actually be successful, freaking wait. Yeah, you've waited this long. It's a patience. Yeah, why mess it up? It's patience, man. Yeah, you gotta have patience. Yeah. And then we make it right to the end, to, to, you know, to the to the line, and then we're just like, ah! you, exactly. You do more, you do more for yourself by not doing anything and letting them take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so that's pretty much breeding pythons in a nutshell. You can go back and listen to the other episodes. We have, you know, see where we changed. Yeah, <laughs> we should compare and contrast. Eight episodes of breeding, yeah, of breeding. Soon pythons. we shall have an entire season of breeding pythons. It'll just be right. us talking about it. Right. Yeah. So my question is: We'll start with Riley. Any new species that you're breeding this year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blacktail Kribos. I'm going to give a run at this yes. year. Uh, I got to look around and see here. What else am I trying this season? I feel like there's something else that's new. Well, I, I, I mean, there's like new subspecies that I'm hoping to be successful with. I'm hoping to be successful with Darwin's finally. Um, right. I'm hoping to get uh, a repeat performance out of my Madagascar giant hogs. Woot. Uh, and brettles. Actually, there's a species. That's a full species. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. Species. I'm gonna try my brettles this year nice. for the first time. So I've got uh, a pair of, uh, of females that are, or excuse me, a pair of brettles that are both uh, 2016. So they're four and a half right now, and they're more than ready to rock. I was going to say, buddy, you need a boy. If you have a pair of females, you're not going to be able to get them to breed. Right. Yeah, that was in one of the <laughs> earlier points of the show. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Correct. Yeah. All right, yeah. Make sure you listen to the whole episode, the whole folks. Show. Yeah, the whole show. Yeah, don't just yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to focus on one. Yep. All right, Darwin's. What what's going to be? What do you are you going to just do it the same way that you've? Have you? Well, let's ask this. Have you tried Darwin's before? I tried last year. And are you going to change anything, or are you going to go because you know you just think they're um, too not ready I, yet? I think I think I was trying a bit early, like they're they were mature, but like not as mature as I'd like them. Seeing the female, um, seeing the female looking as she is now, I think she's definitely poised to do, to to do better this season. And the male was uh, he turned he turned a corner and he's like slamming rats now, and he was a bit of a mouser before, so I think that played played a role, but. Um, I've also got my my Darwin in a, a slightly higher cage this year, and I'm uh-huh. thinking the the slightly higher ambient temps might might coincide with a little bit more of what we were just reading earlier about those those higher latitude animals needing sort of like a higher extreme. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that works. And then the only other thing is they've had a full another calendar year of adjusting right. to this new snake room after moving two and a half years ago. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right, you got your hands full, man. Yeah, going for going for eleven pairs of everything total, including hogs, crebos, rainbows, and carpets. Nice. That's a so, good number. Yeah, That's, you know, if if the if the prevailing statistic, you know, holds true that you know roughly half go, uh, and I fuck a few things up and and not screw things up in a few other ways than yeah five or six clutches i'll be stoked yeah man yeah cool 
What about you, Owen? Ah, yes. Glad you finally come to me. Um, <laughs> he, he pulls out a scroll. <laughs> just, uh, listen, we don't do scrolls here. That's that is that's EB uh, job. That's EB job. Uh, Twenty-four pairings. Holy shit, man! Yep. Ow. Yep. Uh, it's you hard. have to go back to work, right? You're not. Uh, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> shut up! <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, as and far you're getting as, married in 2021, yeah, I gotta pay for and, shit. Yeah, and what? she's moving up here in 2021. I mean, she's moving up here in 2020. And you're gonna have 24, did you say 24 pairings? Holy shit, all right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as far as new well, subspecies, help you with the babies, yeah, okay, all right, all right, I mean, come on now, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, to there's gotta be perks to all this. No, I mean, I know it's all right, it's yeah, it's fine, it's fine sometimes. I don't know why I do this to myself either. So, um, but I am trying uh, Darwin's as well. And -hmm. I think we're in the same boat where I don't think my female was mature enough and my male's an idiot. So, um, (laughs) hopefully, see how that goes. I got a couple jungle pairings just because I got a couple new jungles that I wasn't suspecting. Um, But then it's like uh, we're trying the olives again. I want to try to do the team wars again. Uh, trying water pythons. The white lips are already paired. I'm doing the pine snakes. I'm only doing one pair of corns. And then, like, it's Kribo, Blue Beauties, and then uh, all three types of the Madagascar. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And if you ask me which pair I'm most nervous about, you know. <laughs> so yeah. you, you already know which one. And if I'm going to change anything, no, it worked. Yeah. But the eggs <laughs> didn't work. So I don't know. It only half worked. So to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. What do you do? Because like, clearly the eggs are viable and she was okay. I think so you she, just psyched yourself out, man. No, no, because no, but they were, I mean, yeah, the eggs were good-ish. I mean, they felt weird when I got them and when I put them in there. And I don't know if it just didn't – I don't know what happened. I don't think they dried out, but to lose the eggs one after another after another after another, really shitty. But yeah. is that something that you think would be something to worry about for this coming season? Or do you think that this season she's going to lay a clutch and just attack it like you would any normal clutch and see what happens? Knowing you – yeah. As how I do, I would say that you probably got in your head. Yeah. And you didn't want to overfeed her and break her. Yeah. So you underfed her. <laughs> underfed her and then right. broke her that way. Got it. And then like, you know, uh you're 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 pulling the gr- magic green dragon on a stick approach. She's a rough dragon on a stick. Thank right. you very much. <laughs> but uh I think she just probably wasn't yeah. wasn't I mean uh, the clutch side was also five. So if you have right. a clutch of 20 and five eggs drop, eh. if you have a clutch of five and five eggs drop, there go the clutch. Right. So, so I, what are the, with their average clutch is like a carpet, right? 12, yeah, 12, 12, 12 to something, 15. 12, 12 yeah, to 16. So, so like, I don't know, man. I, I think that, I think you'll be fine. I think you'll be fine. Like, I, I think like, it, have, like I dude, I could care about half of the shit. <laughs> like, I don't give a damn if half these things lay eggs. If I can get roughy eggs, I will be so happy. Like, right. I don't care. Like a full clutch. Oh, yeah. Sell the rest. I don't give a damn. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll wholesale all the baby carpets I still got so I can focus on the roughies. <laughs> right. 
Like you guys, I will be trying Darwin's, and uh, I wonder if I should provide trees for them since uh, they mm. seem to breed in mm. trees and never come down, according to the man, the myth, the legend himself, who spent uh, years following them in the wild. Maybe. Watching them as they breed. My, my adult female albino Darwin is the only one in her cage who actually uses any log perching and stuff so she's the only one who's retained a large piece of wood in her enclosure hmm. for whatever hmm. reason and darwin's are super arboreal i don't, hmm. I don't know what it is about mine aren't it's weird they're broke <laughs> i mean I, i'll admit ghost is an idiot but like, i mean <laughs> they must be crosses ghost was ghost <laughs> is the one, the, the, i mean let's put it this way ghost is the only only pure darwin because the other one is a albino jag, uh-huh. and then the other one is a citrus tiger head albino, and that's the Darwin project or the albino project. That is so, not a Darwin project. What? It, I mean, it's not, I know it's not a Darwin project, but that's the albino project. <laughs> that's those are the Darwin blooded animals here. Uh, uh, so, like, and that's where it's constantly like, eh, if when I start ditching stuff, the first project to go were you three, you know, but I can't get. It's something about oh, there's like a wall where I can't get rid of an albino carpet python because right. I of waited so long and I wanted it so bad and Ghost right. was so cool when I got him, so it's like, and I can't just have him here doing nothing. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah. So, well, you know, you know. Um, so for me, I'm gonna give. Uh, so just so everybody understand, last year I did the rule that I talked about. Not that I was trying to do it, and I kind of thought that this is how it was gonna go. Yeah. Um, but I um, I did a breeding loan. Oh um, yeah, the diamonds. With the diamond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she came. It was probably sometime in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Been here for a year now. Giving her a whirl. She's a San Diego Zoo. Mm. Uh, so uh, female, beautiful, lots of yellow. Oh yeah, she's Green nice. There with um, reduced pattern diamond male. Then I have my riverbank zoo female. I think she's of size. I have my reduced pattern female. She's of size, but I don't. I'm not going to try all three. I'm thinking I'm going to go with maybe two. See how it goes. Just you know. So I'm excited about that. Diamonds would be cool. So different, you know. Yeah. So different than carpets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Inlands is another one for me. Uh, yeah, dude, that, damn it. So, I'm not allowed to talk about Inlands anymore. I got yelled at. So, so, um, so hopefully I produce them and can send you guys a care package of uh, Inland carpets of sorts. Um, but this is the one. I don't know if you guys remember the picture that I took. It's like the only perfect picture of an Inland carpet that I've ever taken as far as color-wise. Yeah. And I had to put it on a white background because they just kind of disappear in the black background. Yeah. Um, and that's probably just my photographing skills. Anyway, lots of red. They're uh, the mulg line animals, tons of red. The, the female's yeah. reduced pattern. Uh, she's beautiful. I'm hoping that they take. That's that's probably the one I'm most excited about. And then I also have bread lie. So, um, Is this your first year for bread lie? Yes. Damn. So I have a hypo, head stripe, going to a stripe. See what happens. Hypo stripes. Well, yeah, it's the you know, but the percentage thing with the hypo thing kind of makes the things whatever. But you know, still, it's yeah, you're right. Hypo and stripe. So we'll see. 
Um, is there anything like what, you know, obviously uh, Nick's produced them this year, right? I think so, yeah. Long ago. And didn't Casey produce them? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. those are amazing. Yeah, very, very nice. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of the, you know, the new stuff for me, if you will, stuff outside of the – oh, children's pythons too. That's nice. So. I still have yeah. that female I got to send you. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to go with the ruby red male. <laughs> so Beautiful. Too, you know. Um, so, yeah. So, cool. Um, I don't know. Do you guys got anything else? If not, we can wrap it up and roll out. And, uh, I, think, uh, I think I'm good. Um, just gonna go home. I'm just going to go re-wrap my, my horrible wounds. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, no. yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. Oh, one. shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then let's close out. So, yeah, we promised them at the end. Yeah, we did. No, we did. Um, go ahead. All right. So, uh, yours, sir? All right. So, I was trying to, obviously, the last time we talked, I told you about how the male retic uh, busted his glass by smashing his head against it and got loose while I was gone. Um, so I decide I'm going to sell them, which that turned into a whole big fiasco over what they actually are. And I'm working that out right now. And it was just a fun week with that. And then, uh, so I'm like, all right, well, at least I'll fix the cage and I'll go get some glass. So I went to Lowe's and I got a piece of glass and had them cut it for me because the place where I normally get my glass is closed due to COVID because it was a custom shower place. So all right, so I'm going to go install it, and I'm like, it kind of looks like there's a little bit of a sharp edge, but I guess they'll, it's okay. And I dropped it and sliced my hand clean open, and five stitches later, after going to the urgent care, I have now cut myself and received stitches twice during this pandemic. I would like to not do that again. So today I'm like, you know what, I'll just go get a piece of plexiglass from Lowe's. So I go to Lowe's, go get the plexiglass. And there's nobody in the glass cutting section. So I'm like, all right, I'll find somebody. I find the oldest man ever created. He's just there. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, can I get somebody to come cut some plexiglass for me? He goes, I'll help you. And I'm like, oh, go, oh, dear Lord, no, <laughs> please. Just there are plenty of other people wandering around like moving lumber. Can it not be you? And the dude just measures it up and he starts using this thing because the way they do it is they kind of score it and then they snap it. Mm-hmm. So he's scoring it and he's not really putting his weight into it or he can't really put his weight into it. And he's it's like ever so slightly like peeling away a little bit each time. He's like, I think I got it. I'm like, oh, Jesus. So he pulls it off. He puts it down. He hits it with his fist. Nothing happens. He takes a hammer to it. It shatters the entire piece of plexiglass. He's like, oh, <laughs> guess I need another one. I'm like, what the? He pulls out another one, scores it the same way, starts trying to hit it with the hammer, and it won't cut. I'm like, hey, uh, you got any saw blades that cut plexiglass? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll just buy that, buy the plexiglass, and then I'll go home and cut it with my circular saw. <laughs> Okay, I'm like, thank God, this is over. So I ask him, I'm like, so, but you scored it at the measurement that I told you to, right? He's like, yeah. I go home. I don't even think about it. I cut it along the score mark, go to put it in the cage, and it falls through completely because it is too small. (laughs) This has been four goddamn days (laughs) trying to do this with one hospital (laughs) visit. And then I'm like, all right, screw this. 
So I go to my friend's place because she was breeding a bunch of rabbits for me for the retics. I'm like, all right, I'm here to pick up the rabbits. And she's like, okay. And she brings them to me. They've been decapitated. <laughs> it's like, because apparently she went to break their necks and did it too forcefully. And I'm like, I quit. The world is done. And she's like, well, I have the other four. I can euthanize. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll just take these two. I quit. I'm done. So, yeah. <laughs> This has been hell. <laughs> I don't want to. I hate these animals. <laughs> I told you. What I, the hell? Oh, yep. uh, somebody needs to take a book strip of your retickets. Oh, my God. I'm done. I'm done. At this point, anybody wants these fuckers. Just come get them. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're so <sighs> big. How do you ship? You Delta. Know? Good. You God. have to build a crate. <laughs> yeah, they might have to go Delta with their size. You know, or I'm Hamburg when you need it. Dude, that thank you. Freaking <laughs> I mean, this is like and I'm I'm explaining this to her. She's like, why aren't those retakes gone? I'm like, there like, there's so many reasons, honey. But it's like I, I I'm like, if I could just take them to a show and put them on a table, they'd be gone by now. But right. it's like I am living in COVID reptile world where you have to do all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out. Um, I'm trying to get final confirmation of what they are and their paperwork, because what I thought they were was wrong and apparently has never happened yet. So mm-hmm. oh, that is a thing. But now I have uh, some clarification of what they are, but I haven't gotten final confirmation yet. Uh-huh. So now I'm punchy and I'm cagey and I'm worried about posting them back up again. So it's like, that's it. They'll just live here forever. And I'll just, Die. So, yeah. You know, I have a whole book of stories of you. And I the- hate these animals. <laughs> it's, uh, the problem is that he's so damn pretty. Like, if a pie, a piebald retics are so pretty. But now I'll admire them from afar because I want this thing out of my house. So, retics are pretty, man. But they are. But just, the juice, the juice is not worth the squeeze for no, me. No, it's just no. <laughs> yeah. It's just. It's just. You know how much, you know much room I will have in my freezer again when I don't have to have rabbits? No, well, yeah. no, I do have my other retic that I'm keeping. She's nice. I like her. Oh, yeah, the one Mac gave me. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's just the evil one that has to go. Yeah, the dickhead ones who punch their way out of their cages with their oh, own you head. Have three retics? Yes. Oh God. What? No, I have the. I thought you had two. You have three. Oh, you went full retake, bro. No, I did. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I got the one from Matt, yeah, man. And then I got the other pair. one, man. That's not retic, true, bro. Owen. I've never yeah. owned a retake. Well, go to hell. See, Riley's <laughs> the smart one of the group. I How, many retics do you... How many retakes do you have, Eric? I have two, but they yeah. are legit super dwarfs. Like Still, they're, they're retics. Yeah, but they're like as big as a carpet python. I, they, I didn't they're know. I didn't make the rules. Out of stitches. They're not going to give me stitches if they bite I me. I gave myself the stitches. I they don't eat rabbits. <laughs> uh, they're not pure evil. You know. I, she threatened to take and, away all glass cups in the house because I can't be trusted in your glass. And- <laughs> If at any point I yeah you get sippy cups now I tell you carpet crazy straws yeah we have nerfed Ir- uh, Owen's world <laughs> poor guy yeah, they have to Owen proof this house I mean yeah. I, I mean, um, and see here's the he I have a contingency plan yeah. if I decide at any moment that I don't want them yeah, I just I call up Garrett and say hey Garrett 
these are coming back to you. <laughs> and they I, go back. I messed up, so I will Mm-mm-mm. figure it out. See, remember how at the beginning of the show we talked about the certain people you go to for certain things? Shut up. Shut up. When you wanted a retick, shut up. You should have hit up our boy Garrett. No. Hey Garrett, I want a retick. I know, and what I'm you do. I know. I go and, and I do my own shit. Yeah. You bought it from the muscle dude at mm. the at Hamburg. No, I didn't buy it from dude at Hamburg. <laughs> God. Oh man. All right. Anyway, let's wrap it up with this crap. <laughs> we love you, Owen. I hope it's not all fun. No, no one does. I hope you do. I hope your stitches heal well, man. I, just, I mean, that, that sucks. That really- it, it, it's not as bad as the last one when I went through the table, but <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. That was not retick Yeah, but there was a retick in the house. Yes, this is true. <laughs> and I was cutting wood for their shelves, so it might be uh-huh. retick related. Oh, retick related. Damn. That's retick related. But um, uh, it's on the side of my index finger, and it's just that the you know I, the problem is that when you do that, like when you cut yourself, and you're like, it's not that bad, and then you look at it, and you're like, damn it, oh, like yeah, I know and you can't not. use that finger anymore for like a month. I mean, it doesn't bend all the way, and it's just a little tight, but it's still not bad. But it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, in your head right. that you must now go get stitches, and then yep. you're trying to convince your head. No, 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 good. I put the I put the towel on it. And it's gonna stop bleeding soon. All right, so it's soaked through that towel. But I have more towels. Like it's no, I'm fine. So no, yeah. you know when you need stitches. It, yeah, you, you, it's the first thing that goes through your mind. You're like I need stitches. Like I when the rhino iguana let go of me, I was like, yep, I need stitches. Your, your lizard brain is like you've injured us so horribly. <laughs> like, yeah, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So from now on, if Owen has an injury, we have to find out if it's an RR injury, retake-related no. injury, or <laughs> if it's, you know, just a normal everyday injury. An RR, RR or OR? It's either retake-related or Owen-related. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get him a helmet. Yeah. I yeah, mean, right? that's the next step is tippy cups and helmets. I mean, <laughs> crazy straws. I'm water, water wingies, pool My, noodles. I have like the greatest Halloween costume for you ever. Bubble <laughs> boy. My, my mother's like, are what you helping on you? I'm like, I, I'm trying. Like, I'm not acting. <laughs> pool noodles on your arms and legs. We'll get those foam corners for every table in your house. I hide from you people. Like, this is why I moved out here. Away. Baby, baby outlet covers and... Uh, well, baby thing, monitor. If we have carpet fest at your house, at least we'll know it'll be kid friendly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this will be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. What are we gonna do with you? <laughs> Just let me bleed over here in the corner for a minute. Be fine. Quick, um, kick him while he's down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's what friends do all the time. I know. I'm confused. Every time I'm down, somebody gives me a kick. I talk to this love. Kick in the, yeah, it's, this is what love feels like. Yes, Owen. Yeah. Okay. And this is all right, so we're going to close out this big bad boy as we turn this ship around. <laughs> so for us, you can follow us on our website, MoreliaPythonRadio.net. The email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, 
Subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you use. Uh, check out our Teespring store for some NPR merch. And the calendar will be coming ASAP. As soon as they are ready, I will put it up uh, on, uh, you know, wherever we post stuff uh, over on the Facebook page that they're ready. I'm assuming it's probably going to be around the same price, 20 bucks, um, 20 shipped. And then for overseas, it would be 25 shipped. Um, but uh, wait for clarification for that. We're not taking pre-orders, um, but as soon as they're available, we will we will have them ready to go. So I would say probably in the next maybe three weeks, um, we'll have them good to go. So Cool. <clears throat> they will be for sale on the website uh, because we can't add them to the Teespring store. Um, so, so there you go. As far as the other pods, um, Colubrid Corner should be probably, I will be releasing that. Uh, well, actually, when you hear this, probably this NPR episode, we'll have this up tomorrow. Colubrid Corner will be up and Student of the Serpent will be up. So, oh shit! Both are dropping. Both are dropping. Oh I'm my god! They were at the same time, so we're good to go. Okay, um, so we have the Riley Wimus now because we got two episodes, so uh, they're going to be bi-weekly, Eric. So you don't have to drop another one for. Okay. Yeah, and then we should record the other two. Mm-hmm. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Cool. cool. It should be cool. It and then for myself, uh, Eb Morelia. Follow me there. My email is Eric at E.B. Morelli. Riley, what do you got? Uh, you can find me on Riley's Reptiles on Facebook, Instagram. You can find me under just my name, Riley Jimison, on YouTube. And if you're like me and you're a podcast junkie, one is just not enough. I run a podcast called the Reptile Room Podcast with uh, my buddy Andy Ray. And we, uh, we're hoping to keep that rocking and rolling. But you can find that on all the major social media platforms as well, reptileroompodcast.com and at gmail.com. Cool. Oh, cool. Um, quick, Riley, what was that? Uh, what's the next Collier bird that's going to be on the show? I forgot the name. We are going to do a spotted scap stecker. Thank you. Wait, what? Eric? Thank you. <laughs> Sca- the scape stecker, scap stecker. We're going we're gonna to do that one. Okay. All right. Where's yeah. the snake from? It's uh, it's an African species. Cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. See, like I don't like this is this is pretty much the premise of the episode. He says words, and I'm like, the hell does that mean? So, all right. But I promise, there's a Slowinski's corn episode coming. Yay! Right. <laughs> so, all right. That's cool. For yeah. me, uh, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out uh, rogue reptiles on Facebook.com, and the Instagram is rogue underscore reptiles. Also, go check out the Teespring store for uh, Morelia Python Radio. You'll also see rogue stuff, EB Morelia stuff, and carpets best stuff on that place as well. Uh, that's all we have for everybody. So we'll say thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night.